Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello, everybody. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? doing Why good. do you always laugh at my intros? It's amusing. You amuse me. You're the funny one. <laughs> You're like a clown to me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a joke, clownfish. <laughs> Entertain us. <laughs> wow. Okay, so today we are finishing off our series on musicals to wrap up the year. Super fun. I've enjoyed all the ones we've watched. Uh-huh. Um, today we're capping it off with Tokyo Tribe from 2014, directed by my favorite director, Shion Sono. Got to get one in every year. <laughs> At least one, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm holding back. Um, but... Like- First like every episode, he's like, "That's actually a little-known director, Sean Sono. I'd like to bring to your attention. Not sure if you guys have heard of him or not. He's a bit of a film obscurist." <laughs> well, if you went by Blu-ray releases, that would be true. <laughs> I'm starving out here. Someone license more stuff, or give me the money and let me open my weird label. Yeah, I, when I was re-editing that thing, I was laughing again because I was like, "That would be Dustin's label, just, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, WJS, weird Japanese shit." Yep. WJS yep. Uh, video. <laughs> um, but first, like always, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. I have not quite a normal shout out, but I just wanted to truncate and go back and mention something. Yeah. Um, we had it on our social medias, but we didn't talk about it on air really. Uh, and since Twitter may or may not be imploding on itself, <laughs> which would then make those links vanish, I thought I should have it in episode two. Uh, we've done a few more collaborations with the Jacked Up Review Show. Yeah. And so I wanted to be able to put those in the show notes to signpost people there if you've missed them somehow. Uh, Jason, you were on one for James Cameron? Yes. Yes. And he did the Misfits one a while back mm. ago. Yeah, that was well yeah We covered that yeah. one. I know we mentioned that one. But I, I don't think we had mentioned the James Cameron one. And that one was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then I finally got my debut on there in a doubleheader, <laughs> uh, crazy super uber panel of like a ton of guests. And we were going through kind of talking about the film adaptations first for DC and then another episode for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Pretty epic. Yep. And if you're a Sam Raimi fan, tread carefully because... Oh, boy. We recorded it, I guess, like right after Multiverse of Madness came out. So I was still raw. Hey, I'm a huge Sam Raimi fan, but even I admit not every movie he has done has been... You know, good. Yeah. But he's still the man. So, <laughs> anyways, all those were super fun. Uh, we love the Jacked Up Review Show. So, yeah, check it out. I'll put those in the show cool. notes. Very uh, eclectic. He's always got something different, some weird subject. Go check them out. On those comic book ones, they did a third one that I couldn't sit in on, which was for uh, Dark Horse adaptations. Oh, boy. And I thought that was super fun because I got into some weird uh, out there films. You could have talked about the uh, Hellboy remake. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the Hellboy remake? No, I don't. <laughs> Dude, that's Neil Marshall, and I never even watched it. No, I love Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall and everyone involved in that movie basically said, like, this is a piece of shit. We're really sorry that we were involved in it. We, It was not our plan for this to be this uh, bad. It got... I mean, you never plan for your movie to be... No, it's the suits is. just have to interfere with every damn thing. I'm really hoping, because I was disappointed in Neil Marshall's The Reckoning. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah, um, he's got another one in the can. I think it's a it's another horror film, right? Back to a creature feature. Yeah, and so I'm oh fingers crossed, fingers for crossed, that one. man. Yeah, that's where he's I'm, I'm that's hopeful. where he shines mm-hmm. really heavily. <laughs> uh, I, I can go first. Yeah, what have you on been my watching? Movie? 
I was kind of disappointed in it, honestly. Just keep bringing duds, man. Well, this was all because well, the only one I actually <laughs> <laughs> play the odds. It's mostly duds out there. I mean, really. I only got to watch a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working my way through the Curi- Cabinet of Curiosities, and I oh, like yeah. those a lot. I got two left. Um, but I, those love got adaptations made me just stop for a little while. Have you gotten terrible. the? Um, I just finished the Lovecraft. I one. just forgot his name. The Dreams in the Witch House made me stop. The dude that did Mandy. Panos Cosmatos. No, not yet. Yeah, the Panos no. Cosmatos episode. It's so good. Yeah, I'm about to watch it. I mean, those first two episodes that I've seen are straight up Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, those are probably those more Lovecraft more, yeah, than exactly. the other ones. Yeah. Uh, no, I did. You know me. I watched the blockbuster action films and shit like that. And I watched the Top Gun Maverick movie, mm. which I was telling Jason, like, yes, it's exactly what it is but on the cool side of it like it's all for real they did all the flight stuff in camera the new cg on it which that's awesome i mean like and that was tom cruise right he like pushed for that i think somehow that dude gets whatever he wants i I mean (laughs) he's a thetan level 11 dude he gets whatever he wants he's got magic powers yeah he will be able to help you better in an accident than like the EMS people. Scientology yeah. powers. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that. It was fine. It's exactly what it is. You know, it's not like I'm going to sit here and praise the cinematic genius of that. Mm. There is some cool stuff with it, like as far as technology goes. Like they built um, 8K cameras that actually sit inside the cockpit of the planes, which is really cool on a technical level. Like if you, because yeah. those cameras are huge, you know, and the fact that they were able to condense them down and put them into a cockpit of a plane, that's cool. I mean, and I guess regardless of what you think of that movie, stuff like that's cool because then that progresses. Oh yeah, yeah innovation's always great. And some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, like the total film nerds that were like working on it, mm-hmm. those guys, like I could watch a whole movie of those guys just t- talking <laughs> their craft, like trying to advance technology and stuff. Yeah. Um, but what I did watch more related to the podcast was from 1982, Alone in the Dark. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. Uh, all right, dude, Jack Palance. Okay, I don't hate it. I don't. Okay. I don't hate it. It has at been all. a while since I've seen it. Well, I, it it got released by Shout Factory a couple of years ago, I yeah. think, and I almost did a blind buy on it. I've almost bought it like so many times. Well, because like the cast it. is fucking great. Um, Jack Palance, Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau. Um, I mean, those are the big standouts. But like, hell yeah, that cast alone. Mm. You're like, shit. And I gotta watch that. It's also directed by Jack Shoulder. Yes. Who did the motherfucking hidden? Well, I mean, he probably should have stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is before the hidden, so he worked his way. Uh, he also did Nightmare Two. Yeah, yeah. sure did. Um, I don't dislike it. I just don't think that it was what I wanted it to be. Like, it got really hyped up, and Shutter has it. So if you want to watch it, oh, okay. it's free. Or not free, but like, I'll toss it on my list. You should fucking have Shutter by now. Um, I do, it, man. Leave me alone. I think Dustin would find more enjoyment. <laughs> I think you would. I just, it felt like there was a lot of buildup with no payoff. Mm. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. It's like my sex life. <laughs> it's just a very blue balls film. <laughs> um, I mean, when I think about it, I think I'd like it in idea more than I did in execution. Um, Jack Palance is super cool. I mean, it's worth watching just to see the guys hamming it up, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah. that's for sure. That's for sure. But as far as what I was hoping it was going to be this cool, like, serial killer-ish type thing. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't turn out to be that. And it kept being credited as like this 80s gym you've never seen. And it's like, 
rarely am I going to find an 80s gym that I haven't <laughs> if seen. If you were alive in the 80s, you saw it. Yeah. A <laughs> uh, bit of a technical question for you. Is, is there a part where there's someone who is alone in the dark? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, the thing so that, no one-star letterbox. Well, what bothers right. me the most... Um, so the, the film is basically um, a few dangerous and delusional mental patients break out of a mental asylum during a power blackout and lay siege to their uh, new doctor's house, who they think killed their old doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it's kind of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest goes like super wrong. Isn't that also like a uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis movie? I don't think so. No. Not, not mm. the one that comes to my mind. One of the biggest things that bothered me in it. Imme- <laughs> Sounds like a Don Dohler movie, though. <laughs> really? Like... The, the poor orderly who's in charge of security, hmm. he's he's also hamming it up. Everybody in this film is hamming it up. But he's like, makes a comment to the new doctor. He's like, the only thing that separates them and me is electricity. Like <laughs> saying that all of the locks are electric. Mm-hmm. And that if the electricity goes they, down. They, fell, they open. They, they just open. open. And I'm like, this is the. That's poor design. Dumbest fucking... Like, did the Empire design this? (laughs) So, like, you see it coming, but at the same time, you're like, have you guys not fucking heard of a key? Yeah. Nothing beats a good old-fashioned physical mechanical lock. (laughs) So, when he was saying that, like, I'm sitting there just racking my brain going, are you seriously going to fucking tell me this is the plot of the film and how these deranged people get out is because the power goes out and nobody locked the goddamn doors. <laughs> See, that, that, that brings me back to something I recently realized I had anxiety about, but didn't even notice <clears throat> Star Trek reference coming up. So, you know, like in the enterprise, <laughs> they're like working in the cargo bays and stuff. But yeah. They've got like a force field. Yeah. Like, you know, the doors open, but there's force field going. But what if it fell? What if there was like a power failure or something and that force field, you know, Fails and it's, they all get blown out into space. Why they're red shirts, dude? <laughs> it's just, it seems like not a great idea. It's the uh, Titanic syndrome, you know. It's too big to fail. <laughs> uh, so I was disappointed by it. I just felt like there was a lot of could bees mm-hmm. that happened, but just you know, I never got. It is full of has beens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing beats Jack Palance's City Slickers, man. Oh yeah, no, that was good. Nothing was beats that. Uh, yeah, that's mine. I won't. I won't ham on about it but <laughs> okay i don't know it probably is worth a watch for the i don't i wasn't mad i watched it yeah. i just didn't love it you thought it was overhyped uh, yes yeah. so for the cast alone hmm. i mean god donald pleasance is just being donald pleasance <laughs> he's basically still being dr lewis <laughs> yeah <laughs> he hasn't figured out that, that that it's over yet <laughs> he is a delight in any film he shows up in oh uh, yeah that's fine okay i'll go next do it uh, I think this is my last of my October roundup that mm-hmm. I got to finish. Uh, we, this this is a story that involves us. We all got together to watch a movie together. The Royal We. The Royal We. The, <laughs> the, podca- we, the podcast and friends. Um, and I pitched you guys on a haunted Turkish bathhouse. Which I was all for. Now, we swerved into a different movie that was pretty awful by all, <laughs> by all rights. Yeah. So on my own, I had to go back and get a haunted Turkish bathhouse. Check mm-hmm. it out. Uh, mistakes were made. This was an amazing film. I, 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 I was all for it. <laughs> it was, it was the wrong room, man. It was the wrong like significant hey. others were here. Yeah, there, kn- there are too many chicks. That was the problem. <laughs> and and you know they don't like the title alone. You should have just called it something else, <laughs> and they would have might have gone for it. So um, this is directed by Kazuhiko Yamaguchi from 1975. Uh, it's one part Japanese horror film, one part pinku. One part uh, weird Yakuza crime film at the same time. What's not to love? 
so basically there's this, you know, dude who's like a gangster uh, and he's working for different crime lords in this area and he makes this whole plot against his wife where he basically tricks her into marrying him and then has her like take on his debt to go work in this Turkish bathhouse that's basically a brothel and then he gets like all the money and just like pimps her out but then he doesn't care because he's in love with like the madam that runs it. Okay. Um, and after enduring numerous terrible situations, she ends up dying. Mm. And then uh, there's a creepy cat that's stalking around, and uh, her sister that came from the countryside is trying to uncover the truth. And she ends up going undercover in the bathhouse to infiltrate it and figure <laughs> out. Uh, that sounds like the Manuel movie. Who killed her sister? <laughs> um, it's just a glorious film, just super cool visuals and colors, very sleazy, very racy. Um, any wieners? I don't think there was any wieners. I mean, it is a Japanese. Film, it would have been so fogged. Would have been fogged. Um, you don't want to see a foggy wiener, dude. You need to see that full, <laughs> full on. But it's just so over the top and so crazy. Um, it almost has that vibe of like a female prisoner scorpion thing, almost. Because the the lead girl, uh, who is the sister, she's at first very meek and shy, and then she kind of gets sexually abused by the husband, and then she like goes away for a bit and comes back as like a total badass. Mm. And she'll just like seduce a dude and then kill him, no problem. Um, but then you get toward the like final act of the film, mm-hmm. and suddenly there's like a cat ghost demon thing that shows up, and it's someone full on with like elaborate white face paint and crazy wild hair, and they <laughs> wow. just run amok throughout the film. All right. So yeah, super crazy. I think the Blu-ray's out by Mondo Macabro. Definitely one to get if you're into weird Japanese cinema. For and sure. I assume this one's not streaming anywhere. <laughs> I don't think so currently, no. I don't know, man. Some of that crazy shit gets on random streaming services. Yeah, Arrow picks up some crazy shit. Well, uh, Evil Dead Trap is now on... Uh, mm-hmm. And two. Uh, mm-hmm. Shutter. so... Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you, if you dig exploitation cinema, this is like a must-watch. You nice. have to check it off your list. I'll have to check it out. It's like my kind of thing. So you're saying it's better than Girls Night Out? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. You, I, was a I mean, no, no wieners, though, Jason. Remember that. <laughs> right. Okay. See. Uh, I will temper my expectations. History of <laughs> violence ruined any bathhouse for me. Because now I expect. <laughs> Vigo Mortensen wiener. Vigo's, Vigo's wiener to show up. Uh, we've already talked about Vigo's butt mm-hmm. at length on this podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. So now we'll just talk about Vigo's wiener. We're all fans. <laughs> He's a great dude. I mean, good butt. He's Aragorn. Good, what good. else do you need to say? <laughs> yeah, really. He's. Uh, packing a Lynn deal or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, what did you watch? I watched the new film Barbarian. Okay. I still need to see it. Which sadly was not about the Barbarian brothers. Uh, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any Barbarians? Uh, I think that depends on what you consider to be a Barbarian. Yeah, one star, no actual Barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Conan doesn't show up. You It'd be know. better if he did. But, I mean, you've probably seen the trailers, but it's about a woman who's running an Airbnb, and, mm. but she discovers that someone's already there. There's a, Bill Skarsgård is there. Yeah. My so worst nightmare. Red flag number one. <laughs> is he just there as Bill Skarsgård? <laughs> just there as Pennywise. Hey. Um, Hello there. Uh, I, say, I won't say anything more about it, because part of the fun is just going along with it and finding out what happens. Um, but it's a really good cast. Uh, Skarsgård, Justin Long's in it, who I've always liked. Uh, Georgina Campbell, I don't think she's done a lot of movies yet, but she was really good in it. Hmm. She was in an episode of Black Mirror. Okay. Um, Zach Kreger directed it. I think this is one of his first big features, too. Anyway, um, it, it gets crazy 
but like in a fun way. It's really well made. Um, it's shot well, and there's some cool, uh, not really tricks, but choices of lenses and things like that that makes it interesting. Hmm. I've seen very mixed reception. Like I've seen people that just totally love it, and I've seen people that just hate it. Yeah, um, I can see people not liking it, but I don't know. I mean, if you like horror films and you like something that's made well and you like, you don't even know what's going to happen, you know, does it get far-fetched? A little bit in places, but I mean, <laughs> most horror movies do, do they not? Any wieners? Uh, sorry, no. <laughs> okay. No. You're actually the second person to recommend this to me, though. Uh, another friend of mine that's big into horror uh, who occasionally listen to this podcast, probably not very much. Um, <laughs> he texted me and was like, you should check this out. I wouldn't say it's groundbreaking, but it's worth a watch. I recommend it. And I'm like, well, there's a glowing It's <laughs> <laughs> not groundbreaking, but it's a fun, solid horror flick. Yeah, I'll watch it. It's on HBO That's not Max. a sequel or a remake or utterly, utterly predictable. That's the important part for me. It's not a sequel. It's not a remake. It's not a reboot cool. Yeah. Just... <laughs> like even if it sucks it's original mm-hmm. it's <laughs> it originally sucks yeah, yeah it's something it sucks that's, in its own way I, yeah no i get it totally i mean yeah i'd rather take a shot on something that's not the same old crap over and over again. i think it did well too mm-hmm. uh box office well. wise mm-hmm. which i mean all horror, horror has been doing well horror has yeah. been doing awesome box office wise Alright, so today we are talking about Tokyo Tribe from 2014, capping off our musical block. This is indeed a musical. It is indeed a musical. (laughs) It is the world's first, actually, rap battle musical. Is it really? That was their claim, and I thoroughly searched to try to find a contestant to that throne. and uh, So like Break-In or Break-In 2 doesn't qualify? The fuck is that? Break-In? You know, breaking? No, no. Canon movie? No. What the fuck are you talking about? It was like early '80s. It was like when uh, rap was getting big, and it's like a musical, and there's rapping, and there's sort of a rap battle. Not like this movie, where it's Mm. like people getting eviscerated and shit like that. But God, you all don't know about Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo? No. No, no. I'm working with Philistines. Well, please continue. Um, directed by Shion Sono. We know. He's my favorite director. Don't need to say it again. I probably will. Um, <laughs> hey, Jason. Did you know that Sean Sono is Dustin's favorite director? I did not. No. It's good to know, though. Yeah. Um, I think it's good to set that up. So, we know it's a musical, of course. Uh, other genre tags on this are action and comedy. I think those are both pretty fair. I can see that. Uh, musically, we already set that up. It's It's rap. But I do think it's important to delineate. This is more like old school rap or like hip hop. If you're coming at this from like a 2022 perception of rap. Oh, yeah. You may be disappointed. Right. I I would actually go further and move this outside of the hip hop, old school, like 80s hip hop rap to specifically gangster rap. Mm, like 90s era. 90s, early 2000s gangster mm. rap, like specifically like the Tupac, mm-hmm. Biggie type thing. That's what I would That's fair. specifically put this in. But 
I'm not really a rap aficionado. I fucking hate rap. So, <laughs> so Spoil- I wonder how this was yeah. going to play for Spoiler you guys. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. I think my musical tastes are slightly broader in some respects. Yeah. So I think your tolerance for this movie will hinge on how much you like hip hop or not. Okay. Well, let me hit you with the synopsis. Do it. In an alternate Japan, territorial street gangs form opposing factions collectively known as the Tokyo Tribes. The simmering tension between them is about to boil over into all-out war. Yeah, that's yeah. very succinct. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I found another synopsis, and it kind of just told the whole plot of the film in like one big paragraph, so I, I didn't like that one. I mean, that is potentially possible to do. Yeah, This is a very story-light film, because I think the first thing to even set up before we talk about it is it's all about the spectacle. Really? Oh, very much. It's a very visual film. Yes. Because mm. uh, I would argue that very little is said during <laughs> said raps um, as far as like moving along, quote unquote, plot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, that was a criticism I had as well. There's a lot of we, uh, we get to that. like pomp to it, which again is that gangster rap well, it's, thing. It's of, the, yeah, exactly. It's all bravado and machismo and I'm mm-hmm. the best, I'm the greatest uh, and stuff like I that. I hate that so <laughs> much. Yeah. And um, I know I know that's not representative representational of all hip hop and stuff like that. I, I know it's it's the gangster rap thing, yeah. But yeah, I have zero patience for that. <laughs> Even metal, like when metal does that. Oh yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I'm like, no, no. Yeah, no, I don't like the dick swinging. Yeah, that's why I don't like. <laughs> I mean, we've rock. talked a lot about wieners already. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about some more. And too. we can have appreciation for wieners, but I don't like wieners swinging. <laughs> um. <laughs> So I guess to start maybe before the film, this is based on a manga uh, created by Santa Inoue, and he's actually done several in this series. So there was Tokyo Tribe, and that was kind of like a little short thing that sort of was the prototype where he laid down the idea of this. Quick question. Yes. Was there you know songs in the manga? No. Okay. No. It was I was just, going to ask that. Thank you. Yeah. That was the next thing I was going to explain is it was just a thing where he had a very like Western urban rap style influence to like the look and the flair of everything. Does that fit well? Um, and, and for this film, they decided to spin that into being a musical. Makes sense. Uh, but he followed that up with Tokyo Tribes, or often known as Tokyo Tribe 2. Was it with a Z? I think the 2 was supposed to be like a S. So people call it okay. either or. Tokyo Tribe 2? Yeah. Um, and that's actually the plot of what this film is, where it's about um, the tribes going to war and everything with like Bupa and Mera and Kai and those central characters that we're going to learn about. Um. Inoue's also been known for some other stuff. Like um, one of his first manga he ever made was a horror manga called The Neighbor Number 13. And that's actually been adapted into a live action film. Called 13B. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Um, And that's about this dude who has like a split personality that's like a serial killer. And it's like laid dormant in him. And then this like stressful situation when he's an adult reawakens it. And he's like struggles for control. It's really good. Kind of. It shot out there in like the boom of J-horror stuff. But I think it's kind of gone overlooked a little bit. I haven't heard of it. Cool. Well, <laughs> clearly it must be inferior because Jason <laughs> hasn't heard of it. That's not what I was implying. Uh, Tokyo Tribe <laughs> 2 was also adapted into an anime by Madhouse. It stays pretty faithful to the plot of the manga. So that's a thing out there you can go look up if you want to see kind of the style and the look of the source material. Um, I'm so surprised this never came to the West at all. It seems like perfectly geared where if you had like uh like maybe Adult Swim or something would have picked this up. Huh. 
where it's got like the Western, like urban influence to it. It feels like it would just been an easy sell in America, but it never, it never landed anywhere. The only reason you can watch the anime is because it was like fan subtitled. Oh, okay. Pretty odd. No, there were no musical in that one, right? No. Same okay. same deal. It's just the straight story. Okay. And there's numerous differences, which I will kind of dole out as we go throughout the plot. Cool. Quote, unquote, plot. There's some interesting <laughs> stuff that they changed. Michael is starting this antagonistic <laughs> manner. I don't know if you picked up huh. on that or yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> Shots have already been fired. Tough crowd. Well, hey, Hawthorne didn't turn it off. So there's the plus. Hey, it's better than my pick. <laughs> cool. So... Uh, let's start where the film starts, I guess. We we open on this uh, ran-down-looking section of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And we meet immediately one of our main characters, Yon. It's quite possible this was the same set that was reused in uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm just making but... it thing that they're very, very... <laughs> it looks very stagey. Which yeah, is yeah, appropriate yeah. for the whole musical thing. Yeah. So it I looks have like some it could be, uh... notes about the sets, too, but we'll, we'll get to that when we're more, in, more into things. Uh, Jan is just this young little like street tough kid, right? Yes. Just hanging out. Uh, what he swipes a hamburger for one of his friends. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty much a reoccurring motif that he's always stealing food, which is probably <laughs> one of my more favorite like jokes because you'll just see him in the background sometimes, and he'll like swipe an apple mm-hmm. or something. He's he like a, he's like the Aladdin of this yeah. film. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I apologize. <laughs> we don't get a lot of characterization of him other than right this opening dialogue where he kind of says when he grows up, he wants to try to change things in Tokyo and make it like a more peaceful place. Yeah. Through violence. Because we learned pretty shortly that he's a badass. <laughs> also happens to conveniently be a martial arts master. Yes. Um, And so they do a neat like tracking thing with the camera here where it kind of follows him and it just like shifts to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, But they are in Ikebukuro currently which is one of the wards of Tokyo, which is maybe motif-wise something we should set up. So the, the Tokyo tribes of the film are the 23 different wards of Tokyo. Each one has a gang that kind of controls that area now. And that's how they've sort of sliced all this up. Okay. And they are... And those are like boroughs or something, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's like in New York, you would have like... Queens. Queens and, and yeah. such and such. And if each one had their own gang, that type deal. I think they did. Like the Warriors. Yeah. yeah, I think the Warriors is like a big influence on this mm-hmm. film for sure. Yeah, especially when each gang kind of has their own like motif and theming right. to them. I actually recently watched that. How's it hold up? No, was did, it the new cut though? I say, did you the, watch the, the animated one or shit the, in there? The comic book cut? That, that, those don't belong. That's not, that was not in their original. I forget what platform I watched it on, but I'd never seen it, mm. and I was like, this is not very good. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they remastered it and put in these like comic book transitions, which was ridiculous. I don't remember that at all, so okay. I don't think it was that. All right. But I just didn't think it was that great. I mean, it's a fine movie. Oh, anyway, you might be like predisposed to just hate this film. Interesting. Maybe okay. he doesn't like gangs. <laughs> I, this is my thing. I have a strong stance against gang violence, guys. <laughs> I don't like gang violence. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of this janky ran down place and then we were introduced to one of our other reoccurring characters. Uh, MC Show, played by Shota Somatani. This dude is like a regular Sono veteran. He's appeared in a ton of his other films. Uh, he's one of the leads in Hamizu. He's one of the leads in The Virgin Psychics, which I've shown you guys. And more recently, he played a key character in uh, Takashi Miike's First Love. Yeah. See, I, I, 
I found him very charismatic here, mm. and I was confused that he wasn't really like even really a main character. He just kind of shows up every now and then to explain the plot. Right, he's basically the narrator. Yeah, more than like a, a participant chorus or something. Mm. So that threw me off. I was thrown <laughs> off. Um, but yeah, basically he starts to rap and he kind of sets up what's going on in the city that things are bad, the tribes are at war, mm-hmm. um, and he stops by this old lady that's a DJ. <laughs> yeah. Who they don't go back to her often, but I quite like because it sets up this sort of like stylistic element for the film where it's kind of like she's presenting the whole film as her DJ set. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely get into it, but a ton of this film uses hard cuts for transitions and they kind of frame that like that's her bringing one record to a stop and starting another. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Um, and even too, then like. Um, there's certain like background music tracks that end up becoming kind of associated with certain characters. So that again is like her like shifting tracks ah. as the film goes. Cool. The way you said, ah, leads me to believe you did not get that. I, did, I didn't catch that. <laughs> I, I, no, I did not catch that. I did not. I'm not going to lie. That's going to be one of my, one of my criticisms of the film, mm. but we'll get there. Okay. okay. Um, I may have a similar criticism. Yeah, you're basically told that you're going to be given this story that took place in a single night. Mm-hmm. And the film throughout uses kind of timestamps to orient you in that. But our first event is that some police show up. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a very attractive but also very new-to-the-force uh, policewoman. I would say distractingly attractive. <laughs> <laughs> was that your sentiment, Jason? It was. Yeah, that's fair. That may have also thrown me off. I'm like, oh, what kind of movie is this? <laughs> All right, <laughs> okay. Um, but she notices something shady going on, and mm-hmm. she's, you know, gonna do what she does. She's police, um, but her uh, assistants that she's with kind of warn her not to get involved. Yeah, like her training officers are like, no, no, mm-hmm. no, leave it alone. But and, she's obviously young and dedicated. Um, so she approaches and she meets one of our central main characters, Mara, mm-hmm. played by Ryohei Suzuki. Now he does a great job. Yeah, he's amazing. He goes crazy. He's also very comfortable being naked. There's another series of films called Hentai Common where he plays the main character and it's like this action comedy thing. Oh, he's a good looking dude. I mean, and he's know. basically like naked other than a mask and like a slingkini through the whole film. So <laughs> All tiny weenies got to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but he is Mara and he, he's selling what appears to be CDs out of the back of a van. But it quickly becomes apparent it's sort of a front to sell drugs. Yeah, he's like hiding drugs inside the... Jewel cases or whatever the fuck it is. And I love it because the one guy approaches and he's like, oh, I've never heard of that band. And they're like, hey, get out of here, kid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but she exposes that he's selling drugs and is going to arrest him. But then her, he sexually uh, assaults her. He sexually assaults her. <laughs> and the squad car conveniently pulls away and kind of rings in that nothing's going on. Yeah. It's okay. Um, but yeah, he like rips her shirt off and takes a knife. And then does this weird thing where he uses her body as a metaphor for the city mm-hmm. to send you on this kind of whirlwind tour of like introducing the central gangs that are the most important. Yep. Um, and so I guess just to run us through this really quick, I did keep track of all of this because there are a lot of them. We have the Shibuya Saru, um, which Saru means monkey. Oh, okay. That, if you don't know that, it kind of makes some of their lines weird because they reference being like gorillas and stuff like that. Okay. That that's their whole motif. Um and a lot of these gangs too, they have actual like rappers from Japan kind of playing as the leads. I think it's very noticeable because one criticism I will give this film is that 
some of the actors they have rap, it's very clear they're not very good. Yeah, they're not rappers, they're doing. yeah. But then when it's someone who's actually a rapper, you can really tell. Mm-hmm. They like sell it so much better. I assume some of them were professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got them. We've got the Shinjuku Hands, led by MC Khan and Mega G, which are actual rappers. And then they crown a third leader, Iwao, played by Shunsuke Daito. They give him a cool samurai helmet. They give him a cool, like, mirrored samurai helmet. That is my favorite part of this movie. His helmet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also like it because one of the lines they drop there is they say that we're the cold fish of the streets in reference to Sono's other film, Cold Fish, yeah, no one which is about the uh, serial killer couple that goes on a spree. Nice. Um, also located there with them because near Shinjuku is Kabukicho, are the Gira Gira girls led by Yoko, played by Hitomi Kadayama. Uh, Kabukicho is sort of the red light district in Tokyo, which kind of makes their whole motif make a little more sense. Mm. Dustin knows a lot about that. (laughs) (laughs) He studied it extensively. You mean their motif of um, scandalously cladness? Yes. yes. The whole kind of S&M thing going on? Mm -hmm. However, I would argue they are probably the least exploited. Of all the females in the film, though. Well, they have their own agency. Yeah, they're very in control of their sexuality yeah. compared yeah. to a lot of the other characters in this film. Like the police officer that we are currently watching <laughs> yeah. be tormented while we learn all this information. Uh-huh. Um, then from Narima, we have the Neri Motherfuckas, led by Dio and T2K. This dude's voice is incredible. It's not good, I want to say, but <laughs> there's something weird and alluring about it. I do like that they are actually referred to as the Nary Motherfuckers. Like, mm. that's their official official credit bill. <laughs> yeah. And I love their vibe, too. They have, like, the weird, like, sports tracksuit thing going on. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Like Armenian gangsters or something? I mean, you see that a lot in American hip-hop. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. You know, it's... It's almost though like, um, well, I guess this was 2014. Yeah, it's like ten years past, and they it's like that when uh, the 80s caught up with like uh, Russia or whatever. You know, like <laughs> everything is ten years behind. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like this is currently the hottest thing right now. <laughs> the last one that Mara introduces is Musashino Saru, which is led by Tara, played by Ryuta Sato, and prominently kind of the sort of main character of the film, but he's not focused on for a while is yeah. uh, Kai played by young Dias. And these guys, they just want to hang out and party, have a good time and have like brotherhood and shit like that. They've Love, got a, man. They've got a restaurant. They chill at called pennies, which is not Denny's, not Denny's. It is not Denny's. It is pennies. Um, what the fuck's up, Denny? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guy who plays Kai, we should talk about him. He's a frequent Sono collaborator. Uh, he's been in Shinjuku Swan, Forest of Love, and that we've covered, Prisoners of the Ghost Land. No, oh. he was actually Ratman, the Junker guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right, I remember that dude. Very different role. Very different. This one, I didn't recognize him. Uh, so, with all of that introduction, we never learn what really happens to that cop. No, we don't. <laughs> no, I think a lot of therapy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at this point, this plot kind of rolls through like several different things going on and sort of just setting things up. We get um, the hands crown Iwo as their leader. He gets the cool samurai helmet. Yes. This scene has one of the favorite lines of Michael's, maybe in the film. It was, I will say it was interesting. This is a beer rumble line. Yes. What was it? 
It's uh, when they say we're wetting vaginas dick full caliber. <laughs> it's definitely an interesting line. <laughs> um, and as they're going through this, they kind of do a weird like split screen transfer thing where one group is rapping and it cuts to another area and that group starts and kind of drowns out the other ones. Uh, and this introduces another tribe, uh, Koenji Jack. Okay. And then, uh, still reeling, I guess, for Jason with the, the cop lady, we, we cut to a chick who's topless walking through the streets with yeah. just a bra. It was um, hard to pay attention to all the, you know, because they, they drop so many different gangs on us at mm-hmm. one time, tribes. And then you throw boobs on the screen and yeah. Jason's like, I cannot uh, multitask like this, people. Uh, all right? It was pretty funny, though, because Hawthorne's now at the age that he can watch the television mm-hmm. with me, and so I try to make sure he doesn't see certain things. Like I don't have anything against him seeing nudity. I always try to make sure he doesn't see any um, violence towards like mm. any sexual violence. I don't want him seeing anything like that, but it's funny because I get a text from Dustin, like as I'm watching and he's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, Michael, I forgot to tell you there is some uh, boobs in, uh, or it's, there's some nudity in Tokyo tribes. And I'm like, there is currently a boob on screen. Like as I'm reading it, <laughs> yes. one single boob was on screen. Yeah. Um, so this chick, Nazumi, she meets up with a friend, and they're kind of just hanging out. And they sit down by the side of the road. There is a lady there who's asleep, and Yon is kind of there. He's stolen some food and is eating. I gotta say, there's this one point where they're, they're passing by people on the side of the street and stuff. Everyone's People are working stalls or just, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. There's this one dude standing in a barrel yeah. covered in goo, and he's just like <laughs> dancing around, you know? I'm like, what the fuck? That really stuck out to me. <laughs> I wrote also, that down. What's with the guy in the barrel? It also distracted you. <laughs> it distracted me. And these scenes too, this is where I think you get the vibe of like the ghost land and prisoners of the ghost land. That yeah. same thing where there's a lot of weird stuff going on and you're kind of like, what's, what's right, that over what's there? That story? What's going yeah. on here? It's like Star Wars. Everyone has their own story, their own <laughs> epic journey, but we don't know about it. Goo Man. What is Barrel Goo Man's journey? Yeah. <laughs> How did he get here? What is Goo Man doing? What's he up to? What is this goo? <laughs> Um, and so Nazumi and her friend are just hanging out there and there's this sleeping chick and then this crazy van rolls up on them. <laughs> With chandeliers yeah, on the mirrors. Whole ass chandeliers for mirrors. Which, um, what was that what was that movie with the chandelier? Was it uh, Escape from New York? It this was very this yeah. reminded me a lot yeah. of Escape yeah. from New York. Because the Duke of uh, New York had like, a number a chandelier. one. A number one Duke <laughs> of New York. Yeah. Which that syncs up to with the whole like dystopian gang movie stuff. Right. Um, so the people from this van ask them if they want to go someplace cool, like you do when you're being skeevy and trying to abduct women. That's what I do. Um, and they take them into the van and then they pack in the sleeping girl because she just happens to be there, which prompts Jan to kind of dive in Mm -hmm. because he realizes something weird's going on. Yeah. Bunch of women being taken into a van. Jan is also a bit androgynous too. Mm -hmm. Uh So it's... And and I think that's kind of played on purpose because it seems like the the dudes running the van are like I'm I don't really know <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever we'll, roll with it. Okay. we'll figure it out when we get there because <laughs> that kind of becomes a plot point later too yeah um so they take them to Boopa Town which Boopa is Town. technically another of our factions ran by Boopa Lord Boopa Lord Boopa who is also pretty insane he's a cool actor yeah. he he, um, he really just chews into this role. <laughs> Yeah, Bupa played by Ricky Takeuchi. If you've watched any direct-to-video Yakuza films, you've probably seen this guy before. He's been in like a bajillion Yakuza movies. Okay. That's he, what he's iconically he, known for. 
So he's typecast. He has that um, look. Yeah. Notably, he was in the Dead or Alive films. Oh, okay. Um, oh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but he's just sort of this gangstery mob boss. Murderous thug. Murderous thug, as he says himself. Um, and what our introduction to him is he's being uh, kind of fawned over by a bunch of ladies in bikinis mm-hmm. while he's stabbing a corpse repeatedly and yes. carving off his flesh. Um, but they bring the ladies. Nothing turns on the chicks like a little bit of body mutilation. <laughs> um, but they bring the ladies in, and they kind of all summon to this big banquet hall for some sort of meeting. And then right before that goes off, we were introduced to another character, which is Bupa's son, Nkoi, played by Yosuke Kubozuka. And a very striking Im- a visual here with the red room, and his furniture is people. Yep, and they are painted white. And they're like in various positions, like coffee tables or something, or like mm-hmm. sofas. He's like sitting on them. And it reminded me a lot of Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I think it's definitely the, supposed to. What was it? The Molokov yeah. bar. Um, also about gangs and stuff. True. But yeah, it's um, he, in, through his rap in this scene, introducing himself, he explains that he's abducted all these people and that he's made them be his furniture. Uh, kind of against their will, basically. Uh, and Kubozuka, he's had a lot of cool film roles that stuff we would care about. Um, he was also in Sono's Himizu. He was in one of the Tomi films, Tomi Replay. I think that's the one that's based in the hospital. Okay. I've seen that one. Um, he's in another horror flick called Helter Skelter that has to do with like beauty modification stuff getting out of hand. And a big slide. What? <laughs> so Helter Skelter, the Beatles song, mm. is about a slide. No, nothing. No, I, mean, I know what you're talking about. I, f- I figured you were going to like sing the guitar riff or something. No, I don't want to get his copy. <laughs> okay. Um, and then he also has a role in one of my favorite films, Toshiaki Toyota's The Day of Destruction. Oh, yeah. I remember oh, yeah. That was yeah. the one you... Yeah. Yeah. So this dude gets around. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Oh, I don't think that's fair to say about him. <laughs> Jesus, Cinematically, man. he gets around. He's an interesting looking actor, too. Yeah. Dustin's and over here just throwing I out I will say, even though um, he's one of the people that's like, he's not a rapper, he's just an actor, I think the way he raps, it like works really well for his character. Yeah. He has an interesting, I guess, like flow to the way he says stuff. Yeah. He, he's kind of androgynous really in his appearance, so he kind of like has a very kind of fluid style. Mm-hmm. So. He plays it with, it's almost like he, he leans into the fact that he's not a rapper. Yeah. And doesn't try to be one. Yeah. Just like... I'm going to do this how I think the character might deliver the lines. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if the character's a rapper or not. Yeah, he's not doing like a bunch of awkward poses and stuff like that, that like some of the other. He's also you know. extremely entitled, so. <laughs> it makes sense. He can do whatever he wants right, to. Right. He's not going to say anything. He can do anything. He'll just make you his furniture. <laughs> um, and so Bupa is currently having dinner with some politicians from the city. I wrote this down. There's no like sourcing or logic to this, but they're from the literal demagogic party. Literal demagogic party. <laughs> I did laugh at that because I was like, I'm pretty sure that we have that currently. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> going to be the new Republican offshoot that we're going to have. Yeah, some... not the liberal Democrat. Uh, fuck it, whatever. Uh, but they have the girls all lined up, and they're kind of just like, you know, lavishing how wonderful his place is and all that stuff. 
Um, and then we meet one of the coolest characters of the film. The beatboxing chick? The beatboxing girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. She is by far the standout for me. She yes. stole the movie, and I wanted more of her. And so, alas, I did not get it. Um, she is Cyborg Cowery, and she's actually a famous internet personality. Oh, really? She would upload videos of herself beatboxing and got like crazy, crazy popular. And when they were working on this film, they were like, hey, we want her in this for like a cameo. Just because like her beatboxing will mesh with this whole like rap motif. It was like disturbing and funny yeah. all at the same. It was very weird. Like I'm like not in a sure. Good way. I'm not sure that I would call her. I've not seen her videos, right? So I'm not. It, I can't. Say, it's very much what she does in the film. I can't. I can't say that that's good beatboxing, but it is what she does. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like I've heard like good beatboxers, and you're like completely blown away by the stuff that they can do. Hers is just like straight up. This is what I think beatboxing sounds like, and so I'm going to try to do it. I just know that she was cute and weird while doing it, so I automatically like her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she uh, she serves Boopa tea while kind of singing his praises about how great he is. Yeah, he, he even has to shut her up at one point. <laughs> and I love it, because when he tells her to stop, she just like immediately like, choosh, cuts. <laughs> um, which later, it's, it's irrelevant to the plot, so I guess I'll just mention it now. They also have a singer that goes around and does these like arias. Yes. And she's the same way. She's like on command singing for them when they want it. And when they don't want it, she shuts up immediately and just stands there and, and, and awaits. It's kind of like me, but I don't shut up when you tell me to. <laughs> I'm just always around singing some stupid shit. Sure don't. <laughs> you love it. Um, but they go over some stuff here, basically. Um, and Corey wants to take some of the girls to be new furniture. He needs new furniture. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Um, and they kind of no value city. They kind of tease the politicians a little bit because the politicians try to lean into this whole like shtick they have going, where they're like, "Oh, I like that girl," and they basically just mock them mm-hmm. for it. Um, but ultimately, Bupa decides that. Um, well, they they want to check out the the sleeping girl. They're interested in her. They think she she looks interesting. Uh, which I'm just going to go ahead and attach a name to her so it makes this conversation easier. They later name she has her. Two names. Yeah, they later call her Soon Me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're interested in her, and they want to like pull her to the side. And then we learn that she is a martial arts master. Yeah, as she proceeds to kick the ass of like every guard. And she's good too. Yeah. Don't you think her Michael, martial arts is good? The, fight, the fight, the fight scenes are pretty cool in this movie. I, I take issue with that. You take issue with that? Yes, oh, I do. Okay, what? Well, what? Bring it on. All right. Let's hear it. Is it realistic? No, but it's that hyper stylized. It's the same issue. It's the exact same issue I had with Prisoners of the Ghostland. Okay. Editing is all wrong for the fights. Oh, what? No, no. I, I will agree with you there, but I think in this case it doesn't matter. Well, what bothers me the most, I mean, it is hyperkinetic and it does, and it cuts in places that I think it shouldn't cut. But uh, what bothers me the most is the same thing that hit me about Prisoners of the Ghostland is there is not enough. This sounds really picky, but for me, it, it, it bothered me. There was not enough um, work to make it look like it connected. None of the kicks looked like they connected with anybody, yeah. and it got very Power Rangers-y in a lot of ways. Maybe that's what Sona was going for. I think it's supposed to feel cartoony. But I didn't like that at all. But that's mm-hmm. because... I think it fits the tone of the movie because yeah. it's a very over-the-top, very hyper-stylized movie. It... So that didn't bother me. It did me. But it, I, I liked her physicality. Yeah. I, she, like, both her and... Um, Jan. Jan. Jan move wonderfully. Mm-hmm. 
And I, for me, I felt like it was a disservice to how well they moved. And maybe that was the stuntman, but most of that is not Sono. Most of that's an action director yeah, it's gonna be a choreographer. or a choreographer. But Sono says, I'm going to put the camera here. You but know, if you, so. yeah. And maybe if and, they didn't do this edit, if they didn't have a choreographer that really knew how to sell that, I mean, they didn't, maybe they do. I don't know. You can also mm. see the stuntman's padding a lot. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> noticed that, especially the back padding. Yeah. It, um, that bothered me. But I think I was also hyper aware of it because it was an issue I had with Prisoners of the Ghostland as well. Mm-hmm. It was one of the big things that bothered me with it. Hmm. Okay. I'm an easy sell. You get a cute Japanese girl kicking ass. Oh, I know. I'm just like, I'm okay. Me too, Jason. I'll me go too. along with that. So. Would you say uh, Soon Me's played by Nana Sano, and she's also been in a ton of stuff. I don't think any other Sono films, but um, she's been in a lot of more like drama type stuff, so it was cool to see her have a more action role. Cool. I don't know here. if she's actually trained, but she looks it. Mm-hmm. She, she sells a good job it. selling it, yeah. Yeah. Especially later when things ramp up more. Um, but for her defiance, Bupa decides that they're going to send her to Saga Town, which is this whorehouse they have in Bukuro, and basically wants to have them take care of her. And if she doesn't do well there, then he's going to give her to Nikoi to be some furniture. Right. Now, is this when Mira starts fucking up all the business dudes? Yeah, they kind of take the girls off, and they're going to lock them in a cage. Jan runs away. He just, like, splits. Yeah. I got major because Mira comes out and he's just wearing his little briefs. Oh, we should say too. There's a scene that kind of cut in here where they call for him and they send their little attendant guy. His name's Skunk, and he has like the weird. He's like bald, but kind of has like a spiky hair. It's a a, uh, reverse mohawk. Yeah, Yeah, reverse mohawk. Yeah. yeah. Um, And Mira's in the shower, and he kind of turns around and Skunk is like staring at him. (laughs) Oh right, right. I forgot (laughs) about that. That does set up a joke later. Yeah, for later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he comes in and he's just in like a G-string, basically. I got like major um, Fade Rautha vibes from this guy from Dune. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got Bupa, who's like the Baron, and he has these two sons that are yeah. completely different. You just are immediately thinking <laughs> I'm thinking of Sting, Sting in his yeah. little metal <laughs> underwear. You're not wrong, though. That's a good comparison. Um, yeah, but at this point, they kind of start to talk to Mera and... He has this whole plan to fight the Musashino... The Damn that word. <laughs> he has this whole plan to fight the Musashino Saru. And he reveals that he has a grudge against a guy there named Kai. Kai! <laughs> yeah, we don't get any context with it but now, but he seems to hate him very much. I mean, we're going to find out why. <laughs> and uh, we learned that um, Mera works for Bupa as his head chef. And then at this point, they bring out a bunch of different katanas and guns and all this stuff. Mm. And he proceeds to slaughter all the politicians. I like the way they did the katanas. Yeah. They're very like, it it basically took like the gold plated type, Mm -hmm. like gangsta hard shit, you know, like gold plated guns and like. What's they do with the guns too? They're like gym encrusted. Oh yeah. But I like that they did it with the katanas. And and honestly, I've kind of wish they didn't have the guns because it works. It's funnier. Mm Mm-hmm. With the katanas, it's like you're basically taking old Japan and like making it <laughs> yeah. you know, hardcore rap or whatever. I and love that's it too how like after he slashes people, he holds the swords up and will like look at the blood yeah. and regard it. Uh, and but he, you'll notice after he's done killing everyone and they go back to some wide shots, there's no blood on the floor. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's because most of the blood in this movie is fucking CG. CG. Yeah, that was annoying. That <laughs> was annoyed damn at that. fucking I expect me more off. from the Japanese. I want real fucking blood. <laughs> I just, at like it's 200 not that, PSI. It's not that hard. 
It's not that hard. Well, if you fuck up, you have to re, you know set everything up again and clean it up. That's why they don't yeah. do it. it. It's a cost saving. Well, then measure. fucking do it right the first time. Hey, you're pre- yeah. I'm I'm with you, brother. <laughs> God, I hate CG blood so much. It is distracting. Um. Then Mara gets a call on his gun phone. Yeah. You don't <laughs> want to fuck that up with a, yeah. with a real gun. So the guy has got a cell phone like built into the grip. <laughs> it's such. A, <laughs> when he did that, I was like. Are you fucking with me? Yeah. Uh, that's a gun, not a phone, dumbass. I mean, my son talks into random objects because mm-hmm. he thinks they're all phones, but I didn't expect it from Mira, honestly. But it's so funny to see him hold it to the side of his face, and he's like, yeah, what is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is there an earthquake at some point? Has that happened here? Not quite yet. Okay. But, but they're calling him away to go to Saga <laughs> to check in on things. Jason has no idea the plot. Well, like, okay, yeah. a lot of shit happens in this movie. I remember movie. an earthquake. There's a, an earthquake in this a movie, lot right? What at, do you remember, asshole? <laughs> <laughs> a lot happens, and there's a lot of, like, again, those hard cuts where it'll bounce yeah. between, like, three or four different plots. So I'm kind of linking stuff where I can to make it okay. easier for us to talk about. Um, in the wake of all this with everyone dead, Boopa dances with his wife, which it, is pretty hilarious. Isn't she a Sono regular, too? So uh, her name's Alindia. We don't learn that until like way, way later in the film, like super far in. But um, I have a note about who she is. Hold on. Uh, she's played by Mika Kano. And so she's half of a celebrity duo called the Kano Sisters with Kyoko Kano. And they're basically those kind of thing where it's like they're on TV shows and like variety shows. Okay. And they're kind of just popular for being popular. Right. Um, obviously, like Mika's... Uh, pretty stacked up top, so that's yeah. part of it with her. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Boopa dances with her, and it's ridiculous because he's just like grabbing her ass the whole time. <laughs> right. Now they're a dynamic because we're seeing the family here. It also reminded me a lot of Repo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got like, some they're Repo vibes. All too. dysfunctional and kind of each pulling in a different yeah, direction. Like horribly rich and dysfunctional and mm-hmm. evil. And... Uh, Jan sneaks his way through this palace and finds the captured girls. Mm-hmm. And he's going to free them with a ridiculously long martial arts routine. <laughs> up, up, down, down, left, yeah. right, left, right, <laughs> PA, select, start. It also made me think of um, old school breakdancing. Yeah. I think that's what it was supposed to. Yeah. Because he's flipping around on his back a lot and using his legs to kick a wire to undo the lock. But they make too much noise and it draws the guards and he basically tells them he's going to leave them, leave them in the cell, but he'll come back and save them eventually. And so this is where we kind of cut to Saga Town finally and see everything that's going on there. And this is where I maybe we'll pump the brakes for a second and talk about where they shot this film. So a lot of where this film was shot is an actual real place called Warehouse Kawasaki. And it had a section in it. It was like this big five-story complex. And it was mostly like for arcades and entertainment places. And one part was called the Kowloon City Arcade. And it was an actual arcade you could go into and play games and stuff at. But they built the way it looked after the like Kowloon walled city from China. Okay, I was about to ask if that is a reference to Kowloon. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not the kind of arcade that Jason was hoping you would talk about. But. <laughs> sure. um, and yeah, it was designed to look like the worn down Kowloon walled city in Hong Kong. Um, and they kind of wanted to have this like cyberpunk dystopia vibe to it. And it's funny because it's right near like a train station. You could just pop off the train and go and walk into this place. And it was really popular for people to come there and just take photos or do anything. Hmm. And they basically, I'll, um, I'll put like an article or maybe a video where someone toured the place. 
They basically used these sets wholesale. Like, they didn't have to do any dressing for wow, them. Nothing. That's cool. Was the Fuck the World globe there? I don't think so. I think was that, that was made. I think that was made. Because that would have been cooler if the um, Fuck the World globe. <laughs> but 100% the Saga Town part, that is just all this place. And they just kind of walked in with cameras and. We gotta go to Japan. That's all there is to it. Unfortunately. No! In the 17th of November 2019, the um, warehouse Kawasaki was shut down. Fucking prudes. Boo. I do believe COVID had a lot to do with that, but... It was 2019. COVID sucks. Was that right? No, no, no. 2020. Mm, True, 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 true. I don't know then. It's just fascism. Fascism (laughs) shut it down. (laughs) Okay, but here's here's our COVID (laughs) connection for the next one. A lot of the Shinjuku scenes with the hands and the Giragira girls and the weird, like, neon crazy place they're in, Mm -hmm. that was shot at a place in Kabukicho called the Robot Restaurant. And it was an entertainment venue where you could come and have food and see this elaborate futuristic cyberpunk like stage show where they'd have actual robots that would move that would come out. Um, you know, it's late in the film when they mobilize. They have the big giant like women. Yeah, that are, that I was wondering about that. Those are from the stage show. Okay. Um, now, unfortunately, that one they went on hiatus when COVID started because there was no way they could do their show mm-hmm. with like the regulations and stuff, and they've just closed out. No, oh, no, never came back. That's sad. Now you're bumming me out. Thanks, yeah. Dustin. So basically, for a time, you could go to Tokyo and basically see wholesale the sets <laughs> yeah. for this movie and actually like be there in the place exactly as it was. Huh. Uh, but it's all shut down now. Damn. It's really... Dustin's the only person who would do that. It's just him standing <laughs> there. Yeah. There are, there are probably a few other Sono fans Who's out there. Who's this Guy Jen over here? Like, just <laughs> staring and taking selfies everywhere. <laughs> do they still say Guy Jen? If they don't, I don't want to go. <laughs> um, so they have Sunmi. That's the name they have give to her. And um, they do this whole weird, like, kind of torture slash threaten her thing where they tell her they're going to rape her, and she doesn't really seem to care. Yeah, she's kind of like turning the tables on them. Um, I think it's one part just her defiant personality, but there is also mm. a plot hookup on this that we don't learn till later. Right. Um, but she's completely unruly. When they bring in the guards, she kicks the ass of all the guards. Mm-hmm. And with nothing else to do for it, they decide to call Mera and bring him in. And I love the scene of this, too, because his, uh, his phone, his ringtone is Beethoven's Fifth, <laughs> which they like recycle that several times throughout the film, where it's very comical. So it just kind of cuts in on everything. And it's such a, it's such a stark contrast because it's this classical piece yeah. amid all of this rap. What? I'm going to... F- I'll learn, I'll have this before the episode's over, but there is a classic hip hop track that uses oh, yeah? that in it. I have yeah, it. Before. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so we finally go back to Penny's for a little bit <laughs> and see what's going on there. We learn that Maris hatched this plan where they're going to try to lure one of the Saru over there. Yeah, he's got a spy over there. He's got a spy, and he's going to bring one of them to Saga Town. With a cute little dog. And kind of abduct him to bait out Kai mm-hmm. so they can finally have their fight. Yes. For whatever reason he wants. Yes. <laughs> we don't know why he hates Kai so much, but oh my God, he hates Kai. Very much so. Um, during this part, what we meet a few other characters... Uh, we meet Nori, who's like the waitress at Penny's, played by <laughs> Yui Ichikawa. Very gorgeous. Also very cute, yes. 
Um, she's been in a ton of stuff we love as well. She was in both Juon films. Oh. She was in Zebra Man, and she was in the horror game adaptation Forbidden Siren. But they have a pretty comical rap there where she like kind of berates them because she's like, oh, you guys are always fawning over women and talking about how sexy they are, but you just ignore me. Yeah, I don't know what they're ignoring her for. <laughs> it's the classic girl next door, man. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> she's not ugly. She's not wearing glasses. That she gets to take off and reveal her beauty. And shake her hair out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to take my glasses off. <laughs> And shake my hair out. And you guys are going to be like, <laughs> Damn, Mike. Got me feeling things. Over there. <laughs> uh, and that, yeah, that's how they lure the dudes over there. Like they're promising him that there's this great uh, yeah. whorehouse that he can go to. He's working two dudes a guy, a guy named Kim and a guy named Hashim, which Hashim has the big like Uber fro with mm-hmm. like the hair pick in it. We get a funny scene where he like fantasizes about what the whorehouse is like. <laughs> he, and has he has to, leave to the get table. <laughs> and that felt very much like uh, Virgin Psychics. Yeah, where they have some of their fantasies. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so in the end, he lures Kim away, and Tara even kind of was like, "Hey, are you going over there to that place? Don't go." If he was trying to get you to go there, and they're like, mm, "Whatever." Not thinking with the right head. I no. mean, they don't need to judge his kink. They're kink, yeah. they're kink shamans, what they're doing. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Jan is on the run from Bupa's guards. He manages to make it out. He steals some more food. He ends up at Saga Town because he's trying to save Soon Mi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ends up like kind of stalking the place out, looking for a way to get in. Now, around here is where that first earthquake happens. Okay. What I think is interesting because it's kind of a turning point in the story here. Like, after this earthquake is when things start to ramp up and, like, develop further mm. beyond just, like, we've up to this point, we're kind of just bouncing around everywhere, and now it gets a little more focused, at least for a time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mara shows up at Saga Town. He tries to get Sunmi back in line, but it doesn't work. Uh, and Koi's there, too, and he kind of gives up really quickly. Yeah. Um, eventually Mara pins her down. He kind of does the same knife routine like he did with the cop. Mm-hmm. And a weird thing happens where like he's talking about all the shit he's going to do to her. And then it seems like he just sort of gets off on his own like ranting. Yeah. <laughs> that, that seems <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the guy that abducted Kim leaves a letter that's sort of taunting them and baits them to come to Saga Town. And they storm off to head their way there to try and save them. Yes. When they get there, Jan kind of tags along with them because he realizes what they're going in there for. And they show up to get Kim, which is very hilarious because, like, they come out and they see him. Or no, it's when Kim first gets there. They, like, bring him to the girl. And they're like, oh, you can go ahead and do whatever you want with her. And he starts to step forward, and then Mara steps out, and he's like, oh, it's cock block time. <laughs> <laughs> it's clock blocking time. Did I say clock blocking? You did. I think you did. <laughs> Jason hates time. I hate clocks. Ugh. Yeah, me too. Um, so when Tara and crew get there, they've already got Kim locked down in, under their control, and they kind of have basically like a pissing match back and forth, shouting at each other. Mm-hmm. Mara's super obsessed with Kai, and Kai is like, I barely know you, bro. Yeah, it's like, why do you hate me? What did I do to you? He tells him, I saw you one time at Asana. I don't know what your beef <laughs> is with me. 
Um, but they devolve into fighting. Mm-hmm. There's also a funny, sad, like little subplot here where the spy had a dog with him. It was like a Shiba Inu that was really cute. Mm-hmm. And everyone at Penny's loved him. But when they get to Saga and find what's going on, they realize that the dog was with the bad guys mm-hmm. and betrayed them. He's an evil dog. Well, probably because somebody gave him an entire chicken leg and like didn't take the bone away. And that no. dog's like, this could have hurt me. He's like that uh, Nazi monkey in Raiders. He's a bad monkey. This is a bad dog. Bad dates. <laughs> That's right. So in the chaos of the fight... Um, Kim gets a grenade thrown in his mouth. Sure does. And he fucking explodes. <laughs> yeah. In the chaos, Mera goes for the killing blow with one of his swords on Kai. But at the last minute, Tara runs in the way, mm-hmm. takes the hit, and saves him. Which sends Kai into a fervor, and he chases off after Mera. And Mera proceeds to lead him on like a wild goose chase all through the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Yan kind of just rescues Soon-Mi because there's no one else to stop them at this point. And I love it because Nkoi's still there, and they're like, oh, we got to go. Where's your clothes? And he's like, here, take these clothes, and just like grabs her address. Yeah, he seems rack. like... I, I was, <laughs> his motives seem to waver throughout the whole yeah. movie, and maybe that's just part of his fluid style. I don't know. It seemed to he's me like chaotic he, neutral, maybe. I don't know, but he just he never really seems to know where his allegiance is like. It seems to me like he often gets bored. Yeah. And when he gets bored, he just kind of gives up on the situation. Yeah. He's just a yeah chaotic neutral rogue. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm doing this now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this whole big chase goes down. Soon-Mi's on the run. Kai's chasing Mara. We pop back over to Boopa Town for a little bit. Um. Well, no. First, we pop to that club. We go back to MC's show, and he does one of his like narrative raps again, and sets up that assassins are arriving from Wong Kong. So this is more expansion to the plot now. Uh, clearly some representation of Hong Kong, but it's different because we're in this weird dystopian future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's when we go to Booba Town and catch back up with them. And we get a huge expansion to the plot as they bring in this idea of the high priest. <laughs> yeah, they raise up this. It's like a flashlight. It's like one of those old-fashioned handle flashlights. And he, he turns it on, but it's a hologram. And we see this old dude surrounded by some hot chicks. Yep, uh, it's played by Din Din, who is uh, another Sono regular. He was the main killer in Cold Fish, yeah. and he's also appeared in Why Don't You Play in Hell, Himizu, Forest of Love, and Land of Hope. Yeah. And since we love Kiyoshi Kurosawa, he's also in Cure and Tokyo Sonata. Cool. So, um, the he's two also, he's the high priest. Yeah, he's the high priest. His two assassins are Jadikins, played by Bernard Aka. And then he has an interpreter because he can't speak Japanese, uh, Kamakichi, played by Joey Iwanaga. So Bernard is a super famous Taekwondo practitioner. Okay. And he's done wrestling for a time in Japan. It's obviously both martial artists. Um, he's had some cameos in Common Rider. That was where I first encountered oh. him before this film. Um, and Joey has an appearance in Tokyo Vampire Hotel, which was the TV series that Sono made for Amazon Prime. Uh, is that worth watching? It's fun. Okay. Little... Don't ask Dustin. You're right. So no. He'll be like, yeah, it's worth watching. <laughs> um, so the message they're bringing from the high priest is this big info dump about how he has a runaway daughter named Erica, and she's flown off to Tokyo, mm-hmm. and he wants her found and returned. And Her virginity needs to be intact. Yes, make sure that they know that she's a virgin. It needs to stay intact. Mm-hmm. 
And so Booba vows that he will like exhaust all his resources and do whatever it takes. Yes. Um, to be such the badass killer that it is, for whatever reason, he seems subservient to this guy. He's the high priest. He's the high priest. Big undo. Um, meanwhile, Kai loses Mara but runs into Sun Mi, and they join back up. And Mara goes to check back in with Bupa, and he says, hey, it's time to move all our plans forward, and asks him to unleash the Waru, which is kind of this extra tribe that they've assembled from, I believe it's from the Bukuro Wurons, which was Mara's tribe, and just other people they've recruited. I think they were just on Exegol the whole time. Yeah. Just waiting ready. Uh, but they're basically this super group that's going to take down every other tribe and conquer them all for Bupa. And you know who they are because they wear a shirt with their name on it. Yeah. <laughs> well. And the main tagline of their rap is to say, we are Waru. <laughs> yeah. So you know who they are. Yeah. In case you forgot. I didn't. <laughs> I mean, it is helpful. And I it's helpful because wish... there's so many different tribes. I, I like the themes and the shirts. And some yeah. of I kind of wish that they would have done, like everyone had their own shirt or yeah. like their own. Well, the Saru, they have their own shirt. They do. Yeah. yeah. But not everyone did. Mm-hmm. And clearly someone didn't get the memo or they didn't have a <laughs> friend. Well, it's not like the Warriors where everyone has their own distinct gimmick going on. They probably didn't have a friend with a cricket and a heat press that could make them there. <laughs> well. <laughs> Wait, they, their gang has a cricket? <laughs> oh, man. Um, so Kai basically gets their help to try to take Terra back to Penny's while they're dodging the Waru who are just invading every single district of the city and going to war with the different tribes. We get several different scenes of them like facing off and doing some back and forth rap. Um, and then we get to the one scene I will definitely criticize about this film. Oh. Amidst all the chaos, the hand decides that they need to mobilize and they have a fucking tank. They do have a tank. And in the film, they have actual real like prop tank that they mm-hmm. use. They didn't use it in that part, though. Which looks awesome as they're bringing it out mm-hmm. until they launch it. And then uh, the then horrible it, CG. And it's up. a horrible CGI tank. Yeah. And it doesn't fit with the film at all in any capacity. No. Um, even the area it's in doesn't look like the rest of how Tokyo looks the entire time throughout the film. Right. It's definitely clearly just like modern Tokyo at night. Mm-hmm. Not the weird dystopian Tokyo tribe Tokyo yeah. that we've known so far. And it's not very well composited into the shot mm-hmm. either. And I get what they wanted to do because it very famously like launches a shot off. And it soars and hits the Shibuya 109, which is the super famous department store. Basically like a prominent landmark anyone's going to know in Tokyo. So the act of it destroying that was supposed to be like a cool thing. Mm. But it just really does not work. Does the tank even come into play later? I don't remember anything happening with the tank. Well, there's a later scene where they first run up on them. And they've got the actual like physical tank prop there. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of just moving it down the street very slowly. Okay. But no. <laughs> I just realized we didn't see anything yeah. with that tank. Like, I, I get the idea and it was a cool idea, but not like this. Yeah. Somebody should have said no. There's no yeah. payoff. Someone said, what's the, what's the purpose? Yeah, what's the point of this? Um, so eventually they get cornered by the Waru and Kai's kind of tied up packing Terra. So soon me and Jan kind of start this tag team fighting, which they do for the rest of the film. And they just destroy everyone. And it's, and it's funny Kai's realization of like, oh, wow, you guys kick ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, they do make a good team. Like, they, they do. They work well together, I thought. You um, can criticize the choreography all you want, but I thought they had some cool <laughs> chemistry. They do. They do a lot of cool things where like one of them will hit someone and then the next one will flip over. Yeah. I did oh. like that. I okay. did think yeah. that was well choreographed. Yeah. It was also shot well. Mm-hmm. It was shot to where everything was hidden and it looked real. Yeah. 
Mm. Jesus. Guy can't have a fucking <laughs> criticism. Jason. Um, we get a bit more with Mara and him just like bitching about Kai continually. Mm-hmm. So really, really, I think at this point in the film is when you start to question like, what's his deal? Like, what's going on yeah. here? Uh, something had to have happened. Uh, Spurned love or something. The rest of the tribe start to mobilize and go out to war with the Waru. Yeah, they all kind of get... Uh, <laughs> they all kind of make friends over uh, Tara's death. Apparently, Tara was like a popular dude. Everybody really liked him. Like, um, all the gangs are upset that he's dead. That's jumping ahead just a little bit. Is it? Yep. God damn it! Yep. There's a lot more street running to go. Because um, the first thing is they run into Iwo, and he kind of stops them. And um, are you sure? Oh no, you are right. Yeah, it is this scene that it happened. Oh, all right, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, Let they learn see. they learned that Tara died, and you get info from Iwao that he was this dude that everybody loved. And before they broke into the different tribes, he was like friends with everybody. So is that one kid in high school who just hangs out with all the cliques? Yeah, it was me. You can't hate him. <laughs> um, but right. their little moment is broken up because Jadakin shows up. Begging to be taken to Asana, which is one of the few lines he can say in Japanese. <laughs> That's all you really need to know. Um, and so I love seeing these guys fight because they use a lot of wire stuff to like over-exaggerate how strong they are. Michael, do you have criticisms of this? Yeah, I didn't like it. Didn't like it? What? I didn't feel like it fit. It's so cool. He just like smacks a guy and he goes flying all the way down the street. I, I just didn't think it fit. I don't think we'd set up the fact that that could be the, in this universe yet. There's a lot of like crazy or top <laughs> stuff happening. So that, that didn't bother me. I need I need my fights grounded with realism, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> well, normally wow. I do too, but once you establish that the the, the world is kind of hyper real, I'm okay with it. Uh, so they spread these flyers, and we get the revelation that soon me is surprise the high priest's daughter Erica. Erica yes. Um. It's weird because she feels a little guilty that she didn't tell Kai, but it's like, when would you have? And yeah, he doesn't really care either way. <laughs> oh, um, by the way, I'm actually ranting. I'm a priest His little first thing is just, hey, run to pennies. They'll protect you. Um, they share a quick kiss. And it's just, they don't, I don't think they really build to it. It's kind of just one of those like movie kind of conventions. Yeah, it's one of those just things, you know. True love, first moment kind of thing. Um, but they use that cha- that chaos to run away. We get a cool bit of fighting where they're pursuing Erica and trying to catch her. There's a good like restaurant scene until Michael has his criticisms. Yeah. But, <laughs> I've already said um, it. I've already said it. I love just they come in and there's like a dude down in some noodles and he's got the noodles in his mouth. Yeah. And he's trying to watch the fight. And he's like whipping it around and they use this exaggerated like <laughs> <laughs> as his head turns. Yeah. That guy actually made me laugh quite a bit. He was very pissed at his noodles. His noodles finally fall out of his mouth. This is the this is the character that I identified with very heavily. Like he's mad because they interrupted his noodles. Now there's a scene where Kamakechi jumps up on the table. Yeah, he's kind of like doing this footwork and stuff up there, and I was like, oh god, he's gonna fall. <laughs> yeah, it's like he clears the table with his footwork. Yeah. Um, and it's funny too because like even though they're technically there f- with Boopa's men, they fight the Waru too. Like anyone that gets in their way, they just fuck them up. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm having a real I'm having a realization while we're talking about this, and I mm-hmm. think I understand what my what my issue is with, with the choreography is. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's consistent, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's a lot of things that were developed well, mm-hmm. 
um, with clear plan and clear ideas. And now that I say that out loud, that makes total sense because that's usually what happens when somebody's not an action director. Yeah. Is that you will plan for sequences and then as things happen in the film, you're like, okay, we should probably put a fight here. And then somebody will do it on the night. Mm. And if you don't have yeah. the best people there, like if you have a great team of stuntmen and action choreographers they could put together something that looks amazing on the spot but if you're taking people that don't do that for a living it might end up looking like what you get right and i think that's probably what happened very well could be okay and that's probably and you know what i'll lessen up on it a little bit (laughs) (laughs) well i think your criticisms are valid for sure if i find out that that's not the case fuck him it was his fucking fault and he should have figured it out Uh, so i guess my last remark on this whole scene (laughs) michael what do you think of the like whirlwind combo kick they do it's kind of funny that's pretty fun i mean like he picks up um kamakichi and he does like a whirlwind kick and like spins he's holding him yeah i will say that once the the wire work started coming out at that point, you're like, okay, well, fuck, I guess we're going to do anything, you know, mm. and it doesn't really matter. And at that point, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Mm. It Maybe if there were wire work from the beginning, but again, might not have been planned, might not have had the people that day. I don't know. So they're on the run to pennies. Many people are in pursuit, but we go back to Boopa Town because Mara checks in with Boopa to kind of see how things are going. And here's where we meet the rest of the family. Uh, this is where they actually drop Alindia's name, the wife, and we find out that Bupa also has a daughter named Kesha. So she is played by Shoko Nakagawa. She's a very well-known singer in Japan, and she's done some acting. She's been like, uh, I know she's been in some seasons of Super Sentai. Also Stone Cold Fox. Yep, she's very adorable. Um, and she has a trigger connection for a studio trigger. So she's very famous for singing the main theme of the anime Tingentapa Gurren Lagann. That was one of the last anime made by Studio Gainix. And a lot of the people that worked on that show were the ones who founded Studio Trigger. Hmm. Um, thought I would throw that in there. Cool. Um, as they're talking, Booper refers to Mera as his true son. And we also learned that they actually do really eat people. They set out a meal. And it's almost super sinister. Like They have a little photo of the person they're eating <laughs> yeah. with like their bio and facts about them so they can learn <laughs> yeah. as they're devouring them. <laughs> that was a nice touch. <laughs> um, and it's weird because even though Bupa says he's his true son, like, and Koi doesn't seem to care that much. Like He teases him a little bit with a song, but again, he just doesn't care mm-hmm. about it, anything. I mean, like when you have it all, what do you care? Yeah, true. Uh, and so during this dinner, we get the last bit of lore about everything, and we learn that the uh, the high priest is a high priest of Satanism, mm-hmm. and that they regularly perform black masses and sacrifice virgins to get power from the devil. Which is why Erica needs to remain a virgin. Yes. And we learn in a very quick flashback that Erica uncovered all of this, and that was what prompted her to run away. But Bupa plans to betray the high priest... And he claims that he's going to go on to become the devil of Asia and conquer everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they share the flyer, and that makes Mera realize that Sunmi is Erica, and that kind of sends him off into action again. Uh, meanwhile, then Kai makes it back to Penny's, and everyone's sad that Terra's dead, but he's trying to warn them about the Waru and what's going on, and it ends up that the other gangs that have been in pursuit show up there. 
And he kind of lays down that they just need to bring all the tribes there so they can talk it out among the leaders and stop just like shooting around everywhere at random and fighting. So then I guess this is probably one of the bigger musical numbers in the film. They get all of the known tribes that we've met up to this point and they all kind of show up and they're in a big grouping and each of the leaders kind of go back and forth at one another in this sort of like back and forth trying to convince one another rap battle kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, uh, that, I'll, I'll go ahead and say one of my criticisms about this as a musical. Mm-hmm. All, all the songs blend together. That's and maybe that's just me not really liking hip hop, but it's just everything sounds the same to me. Nothing really sticks out individually. It sounds like an old man talking about modern. I, I, I just said, I just said, maybe it's because I don't like hip hop, but and it could be that it's also I'm not a fan of hip hop, but that is also one of my things as well. Is I don't uh, nothing sticks out. There's something like yes, you can tell when the theme changes from mm-hmm. from song to song, but I don't think there's enough of a change. Like there can be a lot of variations within hip hop. I've heard mm-hmm. songs that are completely different from one another. I don't, I don't think there's enough of that in here. I wish there was. And and maybe it would have... I, I don't like to take that approach and say, like, this is what I would have done, mm. you know, kind of a thing, because I don't think that's fair. But I think an interesting approach could have been the way, like, to have each tribe, and they do it to an extent. No, I think like, each one definitely has their own, like, style for their delivery. But I think it doesn't get diverse enough, you know? Mm. And maybe that's in the backing tracks. Maybe that's... I don't know, but I'm kind of with Jason on that, that I'd never, they blended a lot for me. And sometimes I'd be like, wait, now who the fuck are you? Like, who are you rapping for? You know, I think that kind of blended for me too. Yeah. Okay. Jason yeah, and I are just I kind of men. go back to the DJ lady and this is all like one set that she's presenting. I think like there's a line that's all going to like toe towards, right? Like a particular style it's going to mm-hmm. have because she's, mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah. how I took it. Okay. Um, so yeah, people are reluctant to believe Kai. Eventually, Erica reveals herself and explains everything. And that kind of settles the dispute. Um, I really like it because the final part, there's a few people that are still holdouts and they kind of start dissing them. Where the rest is like, hey, everything's already solved now. We know what we need to do. Mm. We should just get in line with it. Yeah. All the tribes must unite. Mm-hmm. Unbeatable vibe, Tokyo tribe. That's a <laughs> right. lot from that scene. Um... So yeah, they all unite. They all gear up with a bunch of weapons, and they say, "Let's storm Boopa Town and kill Boopa." Yeah. In this, um, at this point, I think when they meet to have their debate, it's like five a.m. So when they finally get to Boopa Town, it's now in the morning, and the sun has risen, mm-hmm. and we get a cool like slow mo walk in of everybody all lined up together, the cool like hero moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just storm the place. Big old fight. And this is where it leans the most into being just like a martial arts film. Because <laughs> it's just one very long, very extended series of fights and like people breaking off into mini fights and linking back up mm-hmm. and everything going crazy. Um, oh no, guys. What? I. Do you know who the fight choreographer was in this? Who? Tak Sakaguchi. Really? I think he, he was in Prisoner of the Ghostland too and I think he helped with the choreography there. That's disappointing. Ouch. Because no. I really like Tak Sakaguchi a lot. Well, I mean, it's been a while since he's done anything that's like really... 
You had me really scared there for a minute. I thought you were about to say, oh, I didn't hit the record button. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, we haven't been recording for like an hour now. No, no. I, I am not doing this again. I was be like, God damn it, I quit the show. No, I was doing it again. I had a thought built in my head, and I was like, okay, well, let me explore this so that I can make this argument. And then I was like, oh, who's the fight choreographer? Oh, no. Well, I mean, when was the last thing he did that was like, you know... I mean, like, Versus is his biggest. That's yeah, a while that was like ago. 15 years ago. 2000. Try 22 20 years ago. ago. <laughs> I know it doesn't feel like it to us, but that's an old movie now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, it's also funny when they roll up on the place because Boopa's on the roof getting a blowjob. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem too concerned about what's going on. No. I'm not sure he was getting a blowjob so much as taking a blowjob. <laughs> I'm not sure how willing that participant was. Um, and maybe here, here's where I should talk about this difference from the from, from the manga. Sure. So as terrible as we think Bupa is in this, he's actually worse in the source material. There's a very famous scene, if you know the manga or the anime, because it adapted it, uh, known as the Goosh Goosh scene. So I think in the anime, this is episode one. And in the manga, it's one of the first few chapters. Um, but it's Mera coming to meet Bupa and she's kind of learning again about like how they're set up and everything. And when he gets there, they're talking about like the prophets from Saga Town and the whorehouses and stuff. And Bupa mentions that uh, he abducted a young boy that he found there. And as he's conversing with Mera, he proceeds to take the boy like behind a curtain and then rapes him to death. Like to the point that like he's spews blood and then like collapses and dies holy shit and there's a certain sound effect in the anime and i think it's in the manga too like just written Hmm. but that sound effect is goosh goosh and for a while like that's pretty much what this was known for i guess before the film because it's a very weird very over the top very disturbing uh scene (laughs) maybe it's a good thing they didn't put that in the movie yeah (laughs) i'm not gonna lie i would probably turned it off at that point i've been like nope it's a little much. No merit here. <laughs> I'm done. I think that was a smart decision to shift yes. Shift on that. Um, so, yeah, they break up into little smaller fights. Uh, notably, the first one is that Kai ends up in the red room. Yeah. And I love how this sets up because it's like he has Nkoi cornered, and then he just orders his statues to attack, and they all <laughs> spring to life. Yeah. Um. So he has him pretty much dead to rights. Um a lot of the Shinjuku people end up in this like forest with blades, like artificial like bamboo poles with blades stuck on them. It made me think of a lot of like ninja films I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Um, eventually, Erica and Yon are kind of the one that ones that uh, turn the tide on every single fight. They're like bouncing location to location. They save Kai. Um, at they, one point, Bupa's got his Gatling gun. He's shooting everybody up with. Yeah. He goes to talk CG to his blood. wife, and he's like, hey, where did I put my Gatling gun? <laughs> where is that thing? <laughs> and then I think it's Kesha. She's like, oh, Dad, you know you hit it in your couch. <laughs> and he does kind of like a Leatherface chainsaw spin yeah. with his Gatling gun. He raises it in the air. <laughs> um, so he's mowing down people with the Gatling gun. Uh, Jan breaks away and goes back down to those ladies and breaks them out. And there's been this one guard that, like, all film, they've kind of teased that Yana's going to fight him. It's this super tall dude with blonde hair. Oh, yeah. And every time they're about to fight, Yan will run away. And so he finally corners him, and he can't can't hurt him at all. He's, like, basically just iron or something. The dude just says, that kind of hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Erica shows up, and they're able to kind of tag team him together and finally bring him down. I'm phrasing on that, Dustin. 
I'd, I'd choose a different phrase. <laughs> no, 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 I think it's appropriate. <laughs> I think um, a lot of wrestling fans would take issue with your joke there. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because there's nothing homoerotic about wrestling. <laughs> I watched a lot of wrestling. I am who I am today because of wrestling. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. So Mera finally decides to join the fight. He's got his guns. He's got his jewel-encrusted katanas. One guy, like, he really has no connection to him, but he, like, empties both clips into him. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, destroys him. <laughs> um, and the daughter has a little bit here, too, right? Because yeah. she, she runs into her room and comes right back out, and she's dressed. She's in the Bruce Lee tracksuit. Yeah, but the guy says, like, kill Bill, right? Yeah, she, she says, says Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a funny joke. Oh, the map thought came of death. I didn't go to kill Bill, so. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's, like, the random... Dude who's just like, oh, Kill Bill, right? Yeah. Fucking poser. <laughs> um, Assert your film dominance, Jason. <laughs> uh, Mara and Kai end up in the dining hall. They're finally showing down. And Koi shows up. And I guess since his whole statue room thing got ruined, he's done with this now. And he decides to just activate a giant CGI fan. Okay, was that his reason? Because I'm like, why is he doing this? Did we miss a scene? I think he's just done with it. There's that chaotic neutral thing again. He's just like... There is a scene too. I, I kind of glossed over it because it's not super important, but it's right before Kai storms in on him where he talks about how he's tired and sleepy and he says he needs to recharge himself and he like cuts one of his statues mm. and starts sucking her blood. Yeah. He's a vampire. Maybe. <laughs> Why the fuck not? But yeah, the, the one wall of the room opens up and it's this big circulating fan thing with all these blades and it begins like sucking everyone toward it i'm not sure the architectural point of this <laughs> i mean like if you're an evil villain why not have a giant turbine why not in your i mean i would no you wouldn't <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. um and it is it's pretty bad cgi but like i i forgive this one more than the tank just because like I think it's blended a little better than well the it, tank it, is. it sucks in kesha was that her name mm-hmm. that's kind of Okay, uh, then the wife goes in, but then Bupa also goes into it. And that bothered me because it's kind of a, you know, kind of a lame death for him, I thought. I think he has a cool death when all the swords pick up off the ground and like <sighs> impale him. I don't know. It's just not satisfying for me. Hmm. I think the thing <laughs> because is because he wasn't not... taken down by one of the main characters or something. He's like not that. really a mastermind as much as he's like a, just a force of nature. I guess. I don't know. For some reason, it's just left me kind of deflated. Because I think that's one of the things about the villains in this is they're all kind of pulling in different directions. They're not really like a united mm-hmm. front. But that's just me. I feel so bad for Dustin oh. right now because he's sitting here with two of the grumpiest ass dudes. Well, I'm not grumpy. <laughs> so I'm finding things to like about this movie. The major- there are things I like about the this The majority movie. of people in the dining hall die except Mara and Kai who manage to duck out and then Nkoi who wanders out into the main central area bored as hell. He talks about how he feels sleepy and he begs the DJ that's there to put some music on for him. Yeah, there's just huge speakers. <laughs> and they, I, I quite they- like this. I like the way he raps here. He repeats the same lines a lot, but it's like he's really into it. It has a different style. Yeah. It sticks up from some of the other stuff, for sure. Uh, and he falls into a fight with Erica and Jan. And actually, he holds his own pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Mara's moved into the main area, too. And this is where we finally get some payoff on what's what's his deal. Because during the fight, Jadikins has his pants drop. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Mara regards him, and he's like, oh, you've got a tiny penis. It's tinier than mine. It's even smaller than mine. And yeah. then he tells him, teeny weenies gotta die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so clearly he has some, uh, some issues Self-hating there. Self-hating issues yeah. over the size of his junk. Um, Kai joins the battle, and he calls for some different music and kind of gets his own anthem going. Mm-hmm. Starts turning the tide there. Um, Mera fights Jadakins and Kamakichi a little bit. He actually kills Kamakichi, which is kind of sad. He like tags him during one of those spins yeah. with the sword. Um, and then finally, Kai and Mera face down another time, and we get the second earthquake. And that kind of mm-hmm. brings all the fighting to a halt. And everyone sort of gathers around to watch Kai and Mera have this fight go down. Yes. Um, which, of course, they have to wrap back and forth first of before, they, before they go at it. You can't just fight. Mm-hmm. And we, we find out why. Right. Yeah. He, 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 uh, he judges Kai and says, you know, you do all this talking about love and peace and equality and stuff, but you've got a big dick. <laughs> Kai's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> And um, he clarifies, he says, well, my dick ought to be the biggest of all. Um, and Kai's like disgusted with him at this point. And basically he's like, you know, I can't believe that all of this war, everything that's happened, it's all just yeah, because you feel like this. And I actually like what Maris says here because he, he counters this and he says, well, this fight never had any meaning at all. Mm-hmm. That's the way that any war has ever been all throughout history. I did like those lyrics. Yeah. It's all um, just a big dick measuring contest. Yeah. And he says, basically he's going to kill him and he's going to rule everything and be this legendary person. Mm-hmm. Um, despite his teeny weeny, despite his teeny weeny before, you know, Kai's our hero. So he says, you know, it's not the size that makes the man. It's the size of your heart that matters. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes you a great person. Which is exactly what someone with a big old dick would say. Yep. <laughs> sure is. Sure is. At least he's modest about it. Uh, so they battle a ton. They they get up on like an upper platform area mm-hmm. of this place. Mm-hmm. Kai finally gets the upper hand, beats the shit out of him, and sends him crashing down into a stall below. So that pretty much resolves the battle. And all the tribes kind of gather around and decide to unite in peace. And they do a song in celebration. And they go through and they let each leader kind of get their moment mm-hmm. to say their piece as they like round robin this. Yes. Which is pretty fun. Um, meanwhile, off to the side in the rubble, Mera's regained his consciousness and he's <laughs> listening to it. And I actually like this because he questions everything and he's like, "Was I wrong? Yeah, about everything that I and did." He's kind of digging the song they're singing and mm-hmm. like, maybe this is the way. And he's like, maybe this isn't so bad. That dude's um, wiener looked pretty nice. <laughs> shouldn't be jealous. It goes. I should celebrate his wiener. <laughs> it comes up the end and it goes kind of tries to go to the credits. We get a. Uh, it's not a mid-credits thing. It's not a post-credits thing. It's like a pre-credits stinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get a flashback that explains how this whole thing all began. <laughs> that was a funny scene. Um, and we're POV from uh, Mare's point of view. And he's hearing some people being like, hey, man, have you seen Kai? I heard he's got a huge dick. Yeah. And he kind of gets mad about that. And we learned that um, Mara had this girl he was into. And her obsession was that bigger was better. Mm. And she tells Mare that only a guy with a really big dick could be the one to rule Tokyo. So then, sometime later, they're at a sauna, and Kai walks in very nervously. And when he takes the towel off, and everyone sees, Mara just gets super pissed. And I love how they're all hanging out in this sauna, even though they're all supposed to be like different tribes and right. stuff. It's like neutral ground. I don't know. Mm. It's a Turkish bathhouse. <laughs> it's haunted bathhouse. Well, it's also nebulous about like when this is too. So this could be before the split. Yeah, that's true. Because at least there was a time where everyone knew Terra. Maybe the split was over the wiener. Yeah, maybe could be. Everybody saw Kai's wiener, and they were like, no. No. Uh, You're either pro-wiener or anti-wiener. 
And then we get a credit. Doesn't the cock wars have? <laughs> and then we get a credit song called Hope, which is kind of an expansion of that final rap they do, just as like a coda to everything. Yes. And that is the end of the movie. That is the end of the movie. No more, no more wiener jokes. No more wiener jokes. We're all about a bit of dick waving. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, there. That is pretty much of an on-the-nose metaphor for what the gangster rap is. Yeah. is it's really oh, yeah, it's all bragging, yeah. and mm-hmm. I'm the yeah. best, I'm the greatest. Very, very shallow and short-sighted. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess the things I want to hit before we go into thoughts. Other major differences. So, in the manga, and subsequently the anime, it's much more of like a character-focused story. Like, from the first episode... It's about Kai, it's about Mera, and their rivalry and everything. And it sticks with like just a handful of characters. And you see the other tribes, but you don't really get like a lot of focus on them. Mm-hmm. And I think, in contrast to the film, they tried to turn it more into like an ensemble piece. Which I think is cool for the sake of the spectacle. But then I do think it loses some of the like character bits because like That's one of my criticisms. You don't meet Kai for like a really yeah. long time. Like I was saying before, I thought that the MC show dude was going to be our hero. And I'm like, well, who are we supposed to be following? Who's our surrogate here? <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and then another major change with that is the source of their feud. So in the actual source material, the reason that they hate each other, it has to do with Mara's girlfriend. There was like an accident that happens and he kind of blames Kai for it. Oh, and that's why he hates him. Okay. And then that in response to that, he kills some of the Saru people which then makes Kai bitter toward him. And it just like, again, that's sort of like a, the gangster rap thing where you kill back and forth on each side and mm-hmm. it ramps up. Um, I think it worked to change it for this film because I don't think there was any way they could ever sell that story in like two hours. Yeah. Plus it's also kind of wrote, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of what you would expect. So I think, I think it's funny, the little penis reveal. I think that's hilarious. Yeah, I think that's one unique and two, it makes it work better as an ensemble thing where there isn't this like deeper, yeah, heavier thing going on. Because I don't, I don't think it would have ever worked uh, where you're only bringing in Kai like halfway in. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think those are the only. Ma- well, I mean, a lot of it's very different because there's no rapping at all in sure. the thing. But that's like key points that are big changes. Uh, any other fun things I had when this first debuted in the U S it was streaming on Netflix. Hmm. There was a random label that got the license to it and dumped it on there, but it's, it's long been moved on from that. Uh, there was a Blu-ray it's out of print. You have it. Of course I have it. Of course it's like an easy hundred bucks. Now, if you want to try to find it on eBay, Holy so crap. if you love this movie, buckle up oh. or you just pay a dollar 99 or you pay a dollar 99 to rent it, to rent it. And then you can rent it like a bunch yeah. Until you hit a hundred, you're saving money. <laughs> That's what we do here at Genre Exposure. We try to find ways to save you cash. Oh, one fun thing from the credits on the Blu-ray. It's probably in the film too. I don't know if you guys went all the way to the end, but um Young Dias, he helped with the English translation of all the rap lyrics to make sure that they translated well into English and kept the same meaning. Okay. That's cool. So I, I wondered that was, about that. It I seemed that was to cool. flow pretty well in between yeah. languages. Because that's often uh, with films like this, especially when there's songs involved, the translations can get yeah. kind of weird at times. Yeah. They still like rhymed a lot and everything. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was well done. That's it. We hit all my other fun notes along the way. Cool. As planned. Excellent. 
So I think that brings us to thoughts. Thoughts. I'll go first. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the, the music is probably my biggest criticism because, I mean, this is a musical block. So mm-hmm. one of the things I'm kind of judging these on is the music. And, and maybe part of it is that I don't like hip-hop that much. I mean, it just, it, it just <laughs> blended in too much. Like one or two I could, I could deal with and I'm fine. But it's got a little too monotonous for me. Mm. I will make the example of Hamilton, which does use a lot of hip-hop, but also has a lot of other influences going on. And all the songs are very individualistic. I wish there was more. I'm not, that's like comparing. I know, I know that's <laughs> crazy to ask for. But I wish it was a bit more like that. Because mm. even within hip-hop, there's variations. you know. Um, mm. So it doesn't really win me over with the music. I like the hyper stylistic aspect of it. I mean, I think it's it's made well. Mm-hmm. Sono's a great filmmaker, technically. Um, I, I wish there was. Yeah, there were so many characters. You don't really focus on anyone. I didn't really know who to follow. I didn't really like. I don't think anyone gets enough screen time that you really feel who they are or really get their character. It's all very surface level, which. I mean, that's fine, but I kind of wish there was someone more to... And based on performances, I often cared more about the wrong people, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, Mara, I really Mara liked, is the most interesting character. You really like Mary, Mara, you really like Nkoi yeah. a ton. Yeah. But there are villains. Yeah, I mean, Kai was pretty <laughs> pretty lame. You know, he was just... He's your typical kind of good guy. Mm-hmm. We don't really get any depth. There's no... I mean, how big is his penis? You know, these are questions <laughs> we do not get. Um... <laughs> Big enough to start a gang war. <laughs> um, but it's all relative. You know, like, what is everyone else's wiener size? You know, like, maybe right. theirs isn't that much, and Kai's just, like, average. <laughs> and everybody's just mad because they've got teeny weenies. <laughs> teeny weenies gotta die. Yeah. Maybe they're just mad. And Kai's just like, you know, um, thought this was normal. Yeah, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm very. Mm. He just doesn't know. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> I just, just don't doesn't know. know. <laughs> Honestly, I would probably give it two stars to me. Okay, just because it doesn't really click with me. I don't think it's anything I would watch again. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I liked hip hop more, I would enjoy it a bit more for that aspect. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't enough of any. It was a lot of flavors, but no real big, you know. A lot of appetizers, but no entree. That's a better analogy. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with yeah, that. I wasn't sure where I was going with that. I was like, I, was gonna, I, I think I, I, think I was going to go back to the penis again. I think this is a food analogy. <laughs> it might be a wiener thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's happening. You're like the the dad from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball. <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen that. I don't get that reference. Oh, he keeps making like uh, fishing references to his son. Oh, okay. About everything. Yeah. So, um, uh, there's a lot to like about this movie, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't coalesce for me. It just doesn't come together. So that's where I'm at. Two stars. Cool. Michael, Uh, you sure you want to go with me? Yeah. The guy who picks lowest goes last. (laughs) Um, I share a lot of the same things with, with Jason. Some of it could be, I, I don't think I dislike hip hop. I think I dislike rap. Um, and I think it's important to, distinguish hip-hop and rap because they're not the same mm-hmm. um so i think a lot of the themes of this 
I despise in general. Mm. You know, like, and I don't, that's not a fault of the film by any means. I just don't like the machismo. I don't like the dick swinging thing. And so, therefore, immediately, like, the songs don't connect with me because mm. that's what they are. But again, that's not the film's fault. That's just. That's who these characters are. That's, that, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's who they are. So, I don't want to judge it on, based on that. Um, I did have, you know, the hangups with the action choreography, which, damn, Toxakaguchi, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, you can do better than that. We know you can. Um, That may have other things, you know, to do. One of the things that I wondered about is that Sono's the only person who's listed as the screenwriter for this. Mm -hmm. And which makes me wonder, did he write all the music for it? Well, not the music. There's somebody else credited for the music, but did he write the lyrics? They were credited rap supervisors but it almost makes me wonder would the songs have worked a little better had like actual rappers done most of the writing so i don't have an answer for that but i do know in some of his other films he has written songs to like a successful degree like um in suicide club he wrote the desert songs Um, which is awesome mm -hmm. i love that i don't he either wrote or was heavily involved in writing the songs for love and peace um, and why don't you play in hell? There's this really famous toothbrush commercial thing they do as a gag. And he like both wrote the jingle and designed the ad video for that. So it probably, like Goblin. it probably would play. It's on that tier of like, just everyone loves it. <laughs> it probably would play that he was the writer. So if that's not a genre that he plays in, well, I mean, that's a very specific genre to try to yeah. write for. So, um, I mean, I think I've made most of my criticisms, throughout while we're talking about it and i struggled with it because i i didn't want to poop on it you know like but it it just did not connect with me i wasn't feeling much of it honestly at all and i think i'm with jason and i'm at a two mm. damn i know yeah I mean, that was your boy but okay and like suicide club i love you know love exposure is pretty great very different films yeah um so i picked this obviously so Two stars from you. <laughs> Two stars. Uh, fuck this movie, whatever. Uh, no, I really, really love it. I think this film is exactly what it wanted to be, which mm. is nothing super deep, nothing like... That's what I... I keep saying, like, oh, he's my favorite director. That's part of why I like him so much is that he can do a film like Suicide Club where it is incredibly deep, incredibly complex. Um, I still go back to that film now and mm-hmm. pull different stuff out of it that I've never considered before. Um, but then he can make something like this, where it's just this fun over the top spectacle and prisoner of the ghost land was very much in that same vein too. Um, and yeah, that's all it is supposed to be. It's just this over the top fun, crazy way to burn two hours. Um, I actually watched this twice in the lead up to doing this episode. Really? Wow. So, um, I dig the music. I think it's cool. I do think the variations, there is some sameness to it. I think that is a fair criticism on your all's part. Um, but I do think subtly it's in the way each rapper like delivers their lines. That's where the variation is. Um, I dig that. Uh, dig all the action. It never bothered me, but I'm also not a like stickler for action choreography. Mm-hmm. Like you are, Michael. Hold so. on. Let me let, as Jason lauded his superiority of film, <laughs> I will loud my superiority of action sequences. <laughs> I mean, Fuck so, you. so for me, like, <laughs> In my mind going out, I was like, okay, this is like a crazy, over-the-top dystopia Tokyo. And some people know martial arts. Sure, they can do all this craziness. 
It did. It never I have, faced at me. this point in my life, accepted that if the film is set in Asia of any segment or part of Asia, everyone must know martial arts. I think that is what Hollywood has taught me, if, if nothing else. Yeah, you're disappointed if they don't, right? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> honestly, some of the greatest gags are when films poke fun at that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, don't you know martial arts? I'm like, fucking why? Racist ass, motherfucker? No, I don't. Um, it's definitely not a deep film. But I do like its theme and that they decided to focus on this idea of like really it's I guess toxic masculinity and the way they kind of thread that through with how that lines up with the whole like gangster rap vibe. Um, we didn't really get into it, but there was a lot of like on behalf of characters, a lot of misogyny toward mm-hmm. women. I, um, but is it, is it criticizing that or is it also indulging in that? I think it does both Yeah, in a way that's supposed to make you think about that. I took some issues with that, honestly, and I didn't want to bring that up in the podcast because it's already been brought up by a lot of critics Uh about the film. I don't think there was a strong enough stance taken either way. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I mean, that's Sono's choice to do that, whether he wants to sit on the fence with it or not. But there were times that I didn't feel like there was enough. Sorry, go ahead. I, I don't know. Some of the misogyny was, I was like, okay, that's a little much. I'm I'm reticent to say I like the way they did this, but I think sometimes the way they present it, they're supposed to be making you like think and question about it. Like the the opening scene with the uh, policewoman, as she approaches Mara's van, the camera is like low and is just following her ass the whole time. Oh yeah, I mean, it's... and that's one of those things where it's like, oh, here's the male gaze, the mm-hmm. camera. Of course, they're doing this, but then as you watch in the background, all the dudes are staring at her, and that would be their like eye level perspective for the shot. My issue is and more... And so I think in a way it's supposed to be calling your attention toward that. Yeah. But also isn't a lot of gangster rap misogynistic anyway. Yeah. Oh, very much nature. so. So, yeah. I mean, it's also... I mean, you can't criticize something without showing it or exploring it either. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. don't know. One, I don't of, know. one of my biggest... Mine wasn't the fact that, that camera shots like that, I got what he was doing. A lot of mine were the fact of the unchecked, um, just like full-on boob grab, like mm-hmm. shaking stuff. Some of those didn't feel as consensual as I felt I wanted them to be. Maybe, Maybe they were really good actresses. I don't know. <laughs> the, the one with the police officer bothered me a lot. Bothered me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, it bothered me because I felt like that scene was a little bit on the ad lib side of how much they were, how far they were going. And I don't know, like maybe if she was cool with it, that's fine. I think it would but, be hard to tell. But I do think the point yeah. of that scene is it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. You're supposed to be like, Ugh. oh, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, there's not a redeemable character and in it, this film. And it immediately <laughs> sets up Mara's personality. Right. I mean, I get it. Mm. But um, and there were some of the like some of the shots like the um, I got really tired of the upskirt shots of Erica, the way it was framed while she was fighting. But part of that was also supposed to show the white underwear and insinuate that she is still a virgin. Mm. But at some points, I'm like, come on. And that's a very out. comical anime thing to have, like, the panty shots thrown in. Yeah. But J- I, I had said to Jason before, I was like, I don't, want, I don't really want to bring up the misogyny thing. Like, <laughs> I don't like it. I know that's maybe part of what the film's saying. But at the same time, like, that tends to be a major issue mm. in a lot of... Japanese films and I mean Japanese culture in general that they struggle with a lot and I mean I think a lot of Japanese artists talk about the misogyny mm-hmm. of Japanese culture well, even so no there's a lot of back and forth on a lot of his films on was it 
intentionally misogynistic or was he trying to make a point with it? And there's numerous people and no one really can come to a consensus on it. So it's one of those things you just have to kind of judge for yourself, I guess. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. There is something that this movie was tainted for me from the beginning because it's really, it was Dustin's pick. No, no, (laughs) because of the accusations against Sono, Mm. nothing's played out yet on that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's played out yet. Like there hasn't been a follow up because I was checking to try to see if there's been any resolution for that, but it already, tainted my image of the film see i think it'll work like a film like it stands on its own like even if that all turns out to be 100 percent true and even worse than anything that was reported like the film is still the film and it's not just his film it's all these other people that were involved these rappers these actors and actresses so it's like still being able to enjoy like rosemary's baby mm-hmm. despite the stuff Which that polanski had done i love after plenty that. of polanski's films i love plenty of woody allen's films i don't let that like hang me up right i, mean, I tend but i do mm-hmm. I tend to, I have a really hard time separating the artist from the art because I think they are one and the same. And like, I don't fucking read Scott Card stuff anymore. Like, probably shouldn't have anywhere. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't read him because it's not good. So. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I know that's it's. I'm not telling anybody mm. at all. Like, yeah, you should do that or should personally. Well, then it goes back to the whole Lovecraft question too. Just because he was a racist, does that mean you shouldn't read his stuff? I know, and it's really hard. But at the same time, sometimes I enjoy more of Lovecraftian inspired stuff than I do Lovecraft's work as a whole. You know, like <laughs> um, specifically like um, Victor Lavelle. Um, he he wrote a short story called The Ballad of Black Tom mm. that's basically you talking... sure that wasn't Lovecraft? <laughs> well, it's, it does a lot of what Lovecraft Country did, yeah. which is like really take the racism of Lovecraft's works and work it into actually yeah, using it. Yeah, put a mirror his, on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. put a mirror on it. So I know that's delving away from Tokyo yeah. Tribe, but I wanted to make a point and say that that is something that kind of bothered me, and I felt like I was a little bit tainted going in, so... Almost was unfair mm-hmm. to well, the film in general. I originally wasn't going to bring it up, but since you did, just to be cards on the table about it. Yeah, there was back in the summer a whole controversy where a lot of Japanese filmmakers, there was like accusations. Yeah. The same like Me Too thing. Um, hard to get information because it is like you have to rely on other people to translate it. It's a lot still up in the air. So no, Yeah, nothing. Um, I checked because I was going to say if, if it came out, I was going to say, you know. Like, right. <laughs> But which even like uh, me saying like I had to wait till here at the end to do one of these. The whole reason that happened was because back in the summer, I actually thought about pitching a block. Like we we've talked about doing like a director block where we pick a director and do three of their films. And it was like the next time it was going to come up to me, I was like, Oh, I'm going to pitch a Sono block. And then that happened. And I was like, mm. poor timing right yeah. now. Really bad yeah. timing. I, I was that. like, I'm going to hold off on that. Wait and see how this plays out. Um, because I think that's like, regardless of, the outcome either way or what's going on that would have been in super poor taste yeah so you so instead you're getting tokyo tribe here at the end of the year again um, i want to reiterate i'm not saying that i judge anyone for if it if it, that doesn't bother you at all it's right yeah if you could separate the art and the artist i tend to not be able you're, you're to you're better off doing that i because <laughs> everyone has i mean I know. yes there are yeah. degrees some are much worse issues than others. That's kind of the thing I fall no back on is that if, if you knew everything about everyone that makes the stuff you enjoy and consume you yeah. would, and you have that hang up, I don't know if you would ever enjoy anything right. ever. I know. And I sometimes feel like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. You know, because there's a line you that you draw within yourself and it's 
an interesting perspective that you have to take of like what is your line in the sand that you draw and say like this sin is too much but this sin is not you know like and i'm not saying well, well there's a school of critique where you don't even take into account anything about the artist's private you just yeah. you just judge the work right you know and that's a perfectly valid way of critiquing something sure absolutely and it's also there's also the thing because like my degree is in history and you have to look at and historically like it's really hard yeah to judge something without looking at it through modern lenses sure that's part of who we are as people we do that you know we put on our own glasses of how we view things and and what is our acceptance and tolerance level and what we say is okay and what we say is not and we're all super hypocritical for it yeah you know but because i guarantee you in 100 years people will be looking at us saying i can't believe they thought that how backwards were they sure you know so i i don't know i think you should put two asterisk next to mine if you're going to critique it because (laughs) well because i think it's i think it's fair to say that were there reasons that i didn't enjoy this film because of that and I think, and I'm not going to hide yeah. and say that it that it wasn't. You know, I'm going to be honest and say that that was in my mind while watching it. Sure. Okay. So it's hard to not color the film that way. It's you fair know? enough. Okay. So all that is to say, uh, <laughs> sorry, there's a lot. No, no, that was a good side path to go on. Um, all that is to say, I give this hard five stars all the way. Okay, love it. I wish you would have just been like, fuck it, one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fuck this film. No, I don't think that it's, right it's a perfect film. It does have its problems, especially the, the CGI use is a little, little too heinous. If it's not perfect, how can it be a five? <laughs> I don't think if we're, if we're talking perfect films, I don't know that there is a perfect film. Uh, so, uh-huh. uh, for me, a five star is just a film that I truly love. It's Empire one that strikes back is a five star. It's one film. that I will revisit frequently. Raiders is a perfect film. And I do revisit frequently. Um, even for doing this, I had to watch it twice just because I really wanted to after I watched it the first time. So, Aliens. That's a perfect film. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> He's just going to start his own podcast. I'm just saying Jason's films. Jason's perfect films. Films oh. that Jason thinks are perfect. <laughs> so that brings us to almost the end of the year. We have one more episode left. As oh my per, gosh. As per usual, it will be a listener episode. Yay. And we're... Well, we actually already have debated about this a little bit. I was going to say we're revisiting the extreme horror world, but are we? Yes. Oh, Jason's drawing a line in the sand. Okay. Yes. And I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> and we will we will definitely get into that in the episode. But we're going to be checking out The Girl Next Door, directed by Gregory Wilson from 2007, based on... Jack Ketchum. Jack Ketchum. Based on a real event. Based on a real event. Ugh. It's a tough one. But hey, it's free. It's on Tubi. <laughs> it's on Tubi, so you don't got to pay for it. It's free. Um, all the soul-crushing chaos that goes on in the film, you can break up with car commercials. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I don't know if that helps or hurts. Mine are targeted, so I wonder what <laughs> your guys are going to be. <laughs> okay, we've delved into some interesting conversations, some deeper topics. Crapped on one of Dustin's favorite movies. Oh, and you know, if I talked you up into renting this, you should write in and let us know what you think. Oh, totally. I'll be curious to hear since we were so divisive on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, drop your drop your thoughts too. Do yeah. Um, do like scandals color your opinion of a film? Mm-hmm. You know, like if I'm alone on that, fine. Yeah, you know what? I'm when the, when sure this episode not. drops, maybe I'll put that question out if Twitter still exists. <laughs> I don't see if have, anyone will answer us. I don't have hope. I don't have faith in that, Dustin. Just make pretty, sure you have the blue check mark. <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll be on Mastodon by then. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a 
it's going to be the next Twitter man. You better oh. get in on it now. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, no, interesting conversations. And that is a lot of why we do this. Yes. So we can have conversations like that mm-hmm. and uh, berate each other and mm-hmm. poop on each other's favorite directors and films. So much fun. All in good fun. Yeah, all in good fun. <laughs> Um, no, I, we, but I want to throw this out there. We need some more ideas for, uh, listener episodes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cause we were looking at them and we've, you know, like we, we got, got a pretty good dent in them. We put a good dent in them, but we're starting to get the same people. Yeah. So it's fine. Maybe know, we love our same people. Yeah. But you know, maybe you guys are the only ones listening to us. And that's um, cool too. Hey, yeah. Thank so, you for listening. Hey, by the do, way. How you doing? Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> What's up? You want to watch Tokyo Tribe? <laughs> He's got the Blu-ray. Set up a watch party with you. Uh, it only costs you ten ninety nine an hour. Uh, but no, we seriously want to get more uh, recommendations from you. It doesn't have to be based on any block. Just if no. there's a film that you really like that you want to champion, or something that you think's a total pile of shit, but you want to subject us to. <laughs> You know, you can do that too. Or if it's a block we've already done, you think we've missed something. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, a good one. That's yeah. a good example. Yeah. So definitely uh, write in however you want to write. Maybe Twitter will still be up at the time, but we're also on all your other favorite socials. And you can also email us yep. at genreexposure at gmail.com. Oh, look at that. That was a good plug, wasn't it? Nice. You did yeah, it. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, but as always, it's been fun and you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening